Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Two of us are here, one of us is far away. Doug Maurice and Tim Bielek, we're in my basement. And Bill Landis is on the phone, sweating his body parts off in Dallas. Landis, how are you holding up? Uh, I'm okay now. I'm, I'm in uh, Jerry Jones' beautiful air-conditioned, uh, way too large of a practice facility in Frisco. So it's nice in here. It's just unbearably hot once you get outside. All right, so the reason you're there is for the opening. Um, you'll be gone from there by the time people to lis- listen to this again. We're doing Buckeye Talk early. It's vacation season. It's people working in different places season, but we don't want to stop Buckeye Talk, so we're doing what we have to do. We're recording this on Sunday, and we're going to get into uh, our top 50 Ohio State players countdown that has been ongoing. We're going to deal with like the first 30 guys, basically. But first, that's what Tim and I are going to do later and get to all your questions. First, we're going to do two things. We're going to talk about Landis and the opening and all these Ohio State commits and targets that are there. But first, we're digging in on Jack Miller, um, who, again, by the time you listen to this, will have been a Buckeye commit for several days. As we're talking, he committed about an hour ago. Landis, Jack Miller, quarterback from Arizona. He's their 2020 quarterback. Why is this a big deal for Ohio State? He is the best quarterback, like in terms of the 247 sports player rating, he is the best quarterback Urban Meyer, uh, Will Jack Miller signs. He's 2020, so there's a long way before he has to sign. But assuming that he signs, he'll be the best quarterback prospect on paper that Urban Meyer has signed at Ohio State. Um, better than Tate Martell, better than Dwayne Haskins, higher than Emory Jones, although Emory Jones is going to come to Ohio State. Uh, he is like the most sort of – I don't know, like like prototypical, strong-armed, big, strapping quarterback who looks like he could be an NFL guy way down the line that, that I think Ohio State has landed uh, since Urban Meyer got, got to Ohio State in 2012. So it's, it's, it's a major deal. It's not surprising. I think everyone thought this was going to happen. And Jack Miller, when he was at Friday Night Lights, I guess a little over a week ago, kept saying, we, 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 when he was talking about Ohio State and like hugged Ryan Day when he was walking out of the building. And we're like, Jack, did you commit? And he's like, nope, not yet. But he clearly had um and just announced it on sunday so it's it's huge it's, it's one of the you know it's one of the bigger commitments urban has landed so far tim why do you like this kid you usually have some uh some personal observations of when they grab um some highly rated guys what is it about jack miller as a player uh that should have ohio state fans excited he's got the prototypical frame you want in a quarterback six four two ten you know he's obviously highly ranked and we've talked before about 
how the 2019 quarterback class is just not as good as this one. Miller is kind of Miller is an example of how different it is this year in that for 2020, excuse me, with just the quality of quarterbacks. And this was a guy Ohio State has targeted for a long time since his freshman season. I believe it was last year when Ohio State offered Miller as a freshman. Even Urban Meyer was surprised that he went in and offered, but this is the guy I think Ohio State zero, zeroed in on. And most importantly, this is a guy that Ohio State got without getting a flip. I think that's the most important thing is this wasn't a flip. This, they went after their guy, something we've talked about in the past, and they identified him. And for now, they've got him. Now it's just a matter of making sure you hold on to him for the next 18 months till he can sign that letter of intent. So we're going to be digging in on all of this in this podcast and the stories we write at cleveland.com. This is a continuing story. They're on a recruiting roll right now. They've been on a recruiting roll. It's funny to think about that we talked about as the 2017 class, the best Urban Meyer class ever. Then it was 2018. Now the way 2019 and 2020 are shaping up, people are saying, is this the best Ohio State's ever recruited? Like It just keeps happening. But quarterback recruiting is different. Quarterback recruiting – I think gets people's attention. And I would like to say this, and Tim just mentioned it. If you are excited about Jack Miller, about Ohio State getting a highly rated national guy this early, that he's a 2020 kid who loves Ohio State, if he stays in this class and signs with Ohio State in the 2020 class, that is an ideal quarterback recruiting strategy and execution. And Dwan Mathis, showing up during Brian Maurer's visit and like stealing a quarterback slot is not ideal. So if you had a problem with me writing earlier that having four quarterbacks committed in a row who are all flips, if you didn't like that, then, then cram it because the Jack Miller <laughs> recruitment so far is the exact opposite of that. All the credit in the world on the Jack Miller recruitment if he ends up signing with Ohio State. This is how you do it. Dwan Mathis is not how you do it. And in a world where I would rather cut my fingers off than type boom when Ohio State gets a recruit, and I would rather cut off Tim's fingers than put an exclamation point in a tweet or a headline, we're allowed to talk about when their recruiting isn't perfect. Their quarterback strategy and execution has not been perfect. They've gotten players in the end. That's not how you want to go about it. Jack Miller is how you go about it. Is this an ideal quarterback recruitment the way they've gotten Jack Miller this early, a guy this good, Landis? Yeah, but, but just to make sure, I get to keep my fingers in, in these scenarios. Well, someone needs to have fingers. You're going to cut off your own and Tim's? And we're going to come okay. off mine and Tim's, and then we're going to dictate to you and you type everything. Well, here's my question. How are you going <laughs> to cut off my fingers and then cut off your fingers? How exactly are you going to do that? Are you going to chop them or are you going to just push them into a table saw? I'm going to cut off my fingers first, and I'm going to bite off your fingers, Tim. I'm going to do whatever it takes before I type boom. So you get the quick and easy version of finger removal, and I get the painful version? Yeah, and I'm going to eat yours. I'm not going to spit yours out. I'm going to eat them. Rather <laughs> a snack. I'd rather <laughs> a robot take them off than that. Landis, is the Miller recruitment the ideal? Oh, recruitment? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I do think, like, this isn't to make an excuse for Ohio State, because I, I don't aim to do that. I do think in the 2019 class, they were a little unsure, at least at the beginning, of what they wanted um, in terms of, like, you know, Urban's always trended more towards dual threat than he has someone with arm talent. Um, the 2019 class was not full of those guys, and I think there was a bit of a philosophical shift that, that led to some pause on their part and ended up with them having to flip 
Juan Mathis late. Um, Jack Miller is much more uh, of the playing style they're looking for with the future of the offense, you know, trending more less less towards so much reliance on the quarterback run, although he can run, and, and more toward quick reads in the passing game, run pass options, that kind of stuff. He's got a really strong arm can push the ball downfield. So so they identified him as a guy early on who was going to be the right kind of fit for the way the offense was trending and then stuck with him. I, I don't think that – I would have relatively low level of fear of him ending up somewhere else other than Ohio State. I think the only way that happens is, is if Urban Meyer is not at Ohio State because he's known Jack Miller since Jack Miller, I think, was in sixth grade. Uh, his dad is the manager of a hotel out in Scottsdale where Ohio State has stayed for the Fiesta Bowl and Florida has stayed for the Fiesta Bowl or the national championship, I think, um, when Urban was there. And so they've known each other a very long time. Uh, they, Jack Miller said the word love like 19 times when describing his relationship with Urban Meyer. I think they're very close. Urban's close with that family. It's not, it's not like a Danny Clark situation where you take a guy early and then he ends up not panning out and then maybe you move away from him. I think Jack Miller, one, is more talented than that. And two, the relationship on a personal level, level is much stronger. Um, so I would not have any fear of Jack Miller flipping out of the class or Ohio State moving away from him. I think he is a perfect fit from a football standpoint and from a personal standpoint. The relationship with Urban Meyer is about as strong as it could be. So Tim first and then Bill on this question. Is this more proof, maybe the final proof, if anyone needed more proof, that Ohio State's offense, offensive strategy, quarterback needs, quarterback recruiting strategy, it officially has changed. It officially is different. They officially are in the era of the throwing quarterback. Again, I've said it a million times on this podcast. One of my favorite things ever is the Landis story on what Urban Meyer wants in a quarterback and arm strength, arm talent was not in the top five. That is no longer true. He has changed what he wants. They have changed what they want. Is this final proof of that, Tim? Yes. But, but do you think, and let me ask this, Tim, would Urban Meyer have recruited Jack Miller in 2012? I don't think so. I've, I've mentioned before how I think the, the game has changed, particularly in the last two seasons when we've seen Deshaun Watson and Tua Tagovailoa lead teams to championships by throwing I think with the way spread offenses have proliferated around college football since the days of Chip Kelly in Oregon really mainstreaming it the days of just having a great running quarterback and doing all these things you know are over now you now the defenses are starting to catch up they're much faster than they used to be and the best way to beat that is to have a guy who can throw you want you need multidimensional quarterbacks, guys who can throw like NFL stars. And we saw what Deshaun Watson did in his abbreviated first season in the NFL was lighted up with his arm. And then Tua Tagovailoa comes off the bench in the second half against Georgia and throws his team to a national championship. You can't just be one-dimensional quarterback anymore as far as a runner. You need to be able to throw. And I think Urban Meyer, although I don't, I don't know if he'll ever say it, it's clear based on the actions and the last two quarterbacks that they've gotten that this is the direction they're going in now. We're going to make him say it. Once we start talking to people during preseason camp and into this season, we're going to make him say the words, I have changed my philosophy of what I want in a quarterback. Landis, do you think Urban would have recruited Jack Miller six years ago? Uh, I mean, like minus the personal relationship, no, probably not. Um, I, he's not – his – Huddle times or like times posted on huddle, I think, can be a little off. But 
and off meaning like they're more generous than they should be, but Jack Miller's like 40 time is listed as, as like 5.19 seconds. That's not super fleet of foot for a quarterback. Um, I just don't think that he has the athletic ability that would have caught Obermeyer's eye six years ago. But now, now he has the word I've used before, like functional mobility. Like he can move, he can really navigate a pocket really well, I think, for a kid who, who's his age. Um, but then he can run and he's kind of a load in the, in the open field. So, so six years ago, no, but, but now he is, this is the, this is the future of the quarterback position, not just at Ohio state, Ohio state's catching up to everyone else. Um, but, but this is what it's going to be moving forward. I think. Tim, how would you compare and contrast Jack Miller as a quarterback to what Ohio state's fans just saw for four years with JT Barrett? More arm talent, plain and simple. I don't think anybody would, say that JT Barrett was a wizard, you know, throwing the football down the field. He's not going to confuse – Barrett will never conf- – Barrett, very different player, obviously, than Jack Miller. And Miller is a guy that can win with his arm. And Barrett was able to win – he could complete passes. I mean, he obviously set the school rec- – all sorts of school passing records, but also a lot of that was due to longevity and playing for four seasons. Miller's not a guy who will beat you with his feet. He'll beat you with his arm. And that's something Ohio State just simply hasn't had and uh, hasn't had to this point. They could have that this year with how Dwayne Haskins plays, but up until this point, they really haven't had a guy who has that kind of arm talent to win football games just with his ability to throw the football. And I understand that the quarterbacks at Ohio State, each one of them is the best quarterback in his class. Ohio State now has – three quarterbacks on the roster and two quarterbacks committed who are the five best quarterbacks in the history of college football. Obviously I'm aware of that. I mean, they're (laughs) Buckeyes. Of course they're the best quarterbacks in America. 19 booms, 31 exclamation points. They're the best. I'm not going to argue that they're the five best quarterbacks God has ever made, but they can't all play at the same time. Landis, what is your prediction of how this plays out? Ooh. Give me your and, – and, and I'll throw mine out first, and I'm, this is what I'm wondering about. Say Dwayne Haskins doesn't go to the NFL after this year. So say it's Dwayne Haskins 18, Dwayne Haskins 19. Who is the quarterback in 2020? Jack Miller will be a true freshman that year. Tate Martell, if he's around, will be dying to get on the field. And then we have Dwan Mathis and Matthew Baldwin in that mix. Assuming Haskins stays uh, – if Haskins stays two years, because if Haskins stays one year and then Martell's the starter in 19, then I think it changes some things. But if Haskins plays in 18 and 19, who's the starter in 20? Uh, my guess would be Baldwin. My pick would be Matthew Baldwin because I don't think Tate Martell is going to wait around that long. Um, and I don't think Dwight Mathis will be ready. So And Jack Miller will be a true freshman. I like Matt Baldwin a lot, and I like him even more now that I talked to Garrett Wilson about him when I was here at the opening on, on Friday. Um, so my pick will be Baldwin. Tim, who's your pick? Uh, hard question. Um, I, to avoid getting gong, I think Martell will stick around. I think there will be some incentive from Urban Meyer that will want to keep Martell around just long enough I don't want to predict anybody's going to transfer two years down the road. Someone eventually will leave. That's going to play itself out. But I think eventually, even though we've just talked for five minutes about throwing quarterbacks, I think they'll, Martell, 
Urban will give Martell his shot if Dwayne Haskins is gone by before 2020. So, so how is it, Bill, that, that – I don't think he's going to have the opportunity to give him a shot. Because you think – I just can't I, – I don't think – like what – I agree with him. We don't like to play fast and loose with, with transfer predictions. I think you can do that with quarterbacks because it's happened so often at the position. I would be shocked if Tate Martell stayed here for two years as a backup. Right, because he would be what a uh, – so – what is right now? He he redshirted last year in his first year, right? Yeah, so he's a redshirt freshman. So he would sit yeah. redshirt freshman, sit redshirt sophomore, play as a redshirt junior, fourth year junior. He's the starter. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see it. I, I I understand the idea that it probably wouldn't wait for that. I mean, I think it. I don't think it's impossible. But why? So how is it that that Matthew Baldwin, who started for one year in high school? and was going to go to Colorado mm-hmm. State, he's now going to be Ohio State starting quarterback someday? Yeah, I think it's possible. I, I, I know Ryan Day really likes him. And, of course, he has to speak highly of him. He recruited him. Um, but I think, like, with the thing we talked about with the fit of the offense and Jack Miller, I think also is true for Matthew Baldwin. I think they're physically they're not similar, but I think with the way they play, they're very similar. And I just think it's the way the offense is trending. And I don't know at the moment, I don't know if Tate Martell is a good enough thrower to operate the offense. Um, he could be two years from now, but if you're going to ask me two years from now who I think would be the better passer and a better fit for what Ohio, where Ohio State's trending offensively, I would probably pick Matt Baldwin. All right. I wanna, it pains I, me to say that. It pains you to say that? Um, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I, I wish like, we could go back and, like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who, who people were predicting was going to be the starter in 2018. Um, I, guess, I guess, actually, Dwayne Haskins was probably a reasonable prediction. Uh, I'm sure some people three years ago said Joe Burrow. Landis, I want to dig in a little bit. I want you to give people a little taste of the opening. And, again, you talked to Brian Maurer down there. I would suggest people read mm-hmm. your story on Cleveland.com about Brian Maurer's weekend in Columbus that was interrupted by Dwayne Mathis flipping to Ohio State. Uh, it's an interesting look about, at the realities um, of recruiting. Um, so – so you've written that. You've written that. I don't think we need to talk about that a ton. It's really interesting. What's the opening like? At Cleveland.com, we've been hoping, hoping to get to have someone cover the opening for several years. It used to always be in Oregon at Nike headquarters. It's now in Dallas, which made it a little more feasible. You're there. It's the first time we're there. This is the, the giant camp for the best players in the country. What's it like? Uh, it's, it's really cool. It's, it's, it's – uh... It's an event on a grand scale. I think, especially moving here, I, I I can't imagine it felt quite like this in Oregon. Like I know it's Nike headquarters and it's a cool place to be, but like this is like a football palace. It's like we've been to AT and T Stadium where the Cowboys play a few times. This is like a mini version of that. Everything's silver. It's a giant, beautiful campus with like seven thousand seat indoor stadium where most of the stuff's going on. Um, so so the the stage I think adds a little more gravity to it, um, but. It's just like 160 of the best high school football players in the country out here playing seven on seven. And today, when we're talking, uh, they're getting ready to do the Nike football training camp. They're going to do 40 times, I think, shuttle times, uh, some strength and agility uh, drills, and then like crown the best athlete in the camp afterward. Um, I actually think Garrett Wilson, the Ohio State receivers commit, might have an opportunity to to win that. I don't know how fast he'll run, but but he's a heck of an athlete. Um, so I haven't gotten a total feel for it yet because. On Friday, it was just like a quarterback and receiver and tight end throwing session. And then on Monday is when the seven-on-seven and the lineman drills really kick in the gear. Um, But today will be the first day that all the campers are on the field together. I think there's 163 of them 
almost all of them from the class of 2019. Um, like Trent Dilfer's out here working with the quarterbacks. I'd imagine we'll see some some pros here. I'd be shocked if Zeke Elliott didn't make an appearance. He lives here. He has a home here in Frisco, obviously a place for the Cowboys. So it's just uh, – it's, it's, I always thought, like, from an outside perspective, that it's obviously the, the biggest recruiting event of the summer. Like, being here, it's huge, and, and it's really cool. What is the Ohio State vibe there? Um, obviously, there's, there's some kids there who – a lot of kids who are committed to different places – uh, obviously you're zeroing in on guys like Wilson who are Ohio State commits and then some other guys who are involved with Ohio State. Uh, on a stage like that, what is uh, – just like what is, is – does Ohio State have the same vibe among the best players in the country as Alabama, as Clemson, as Florida State, as USC or Texas? Or um, is, is there just a particular school? Is it, is it just that everybody talks about Bama? all the time and that's the number one vibe what's it like for Ohio State no Ohio State's on that level here I think I, I was reading yesterday I think I think Oklahoma has the most commits here I think Oklahoma has six and I believe now with Jordan Battle uh committing during the week Ohio State I think has four here now so Garrett Wilson Harry Miller Doug Nestor and Jordan Battle are all here um, but it's not yeah I'm sure if you came to the opening I don't know four years ago it was probably Alabama, I'm sure, dominated the conversation, and, and they don't even have the most commits here this year. So Ohio State is is on the level, I think, with with Alabama and Oklahoma and Georgia and Clemson and Florida State, all, all the all the top programs recruiting. And then Garrett Wilson was we were talking with him yesterday. He's he was the only Ohio State commit on the field yesterday, but he was making sure that that he was in the ears of the right guys, you know, talking up Ohio State, and that's that's part of what this is for. Anybody who's uncommitted, you're you're getting the sales pitch from guys who are on the field with who are committed. Um, but yeah, Ohio State is not. It doesn't have as much of an Ohio State vibe maybe as there have been in the past because there's only four commits here. I think last year there might have been six or seven, and two years ago I think there were eight. Um, but but even with only four here, Ohio State is very much on the level with all the top programs. All right, a couple more before we let you go, Bill. Um, Tim, I want you, though, uh, moving away from Jack Miller a little bit, talking about Jordan Battle, just the recruiting run they've been on. There have been a couple uh, commitments that have popped um, in the last week with Dwan Mathis and Jack Miller getting – Two quarterbacks in a week's time is pretty huge. What is the general what – what is this run telling us about Ohio State recruiting? Well, this run is telling us that it was the impact of just the big official visit weekend that just wrapped up, you know, going into the dead period. I think the question coming out of that was going to be about, you know, what guys Ohio State was going to be able to land out of this, out of this busy weekend. It took, we've, we finally got something on, sat on Sunday night with Juan Mathis – they continue that momentum Wednesday into Legend Cavazos, the 2020 DB from IMG. Thursday night, Paris Johnson from St. Xavier, the, the number eight player in 2020, commits. And then Friday after, Friday afternoon, we get Jordan Battle, who's listed as a safety, but I expect will be a corner at the next level. He, he joins in to really add to that 2019 class, and I think almost ending kind of Ohio State's pursuit of defensive backs. There may be a defensive back or two they're targeting still, but – as far as, you know, what they need at defensive back, they've got that really covered. I figured they needed really just a corner, and battle kind of rounds that out in my mind. How many, 2019, how many kids in the 2019 class at the moment? 13. 13 in 2019, and how many in the 2020 class? Four. Four. And, again, let's recap. We're jumping ahead, but the four in 2020 are all pretty major, right? Run through the 2020 class because that's the Miller class. And I do think getting a quarterback in early helps. What's the 2020 class as it stands, Tim? 
Well, right now you got Paris Johnson ranked number eight overall, Jack Miller 47 overall, number three of pro style quarterback, uh, Jake Ray, Max Ray's younger brother from Marietta, Georgia, number 166 overall, number 22 offensive tackle, and then Legend Cavazos from IMG. By the way, his, his name is pronounced Legend, like L-E-G-E-N-D, like John Legend. Number 10 among safeties, although he said after his commitment that he is going to play corner, number 198 overalls. And that's just four guys, and Ohio State is right now real, already looking like has one of the best 2020 classes, and it's July 1st. All right, Landis, last one for you, then. I want you to put all this in context, and then you can go sweat some more. We hyped, <laughs> up, we hyped up the 2017 class. We hyped up the 2018 class. We see what's happening in 2019 and 2020. Partly based on what has happened with the 2017 and 2018 classes already in, and then what you see developing in 2019 and 2020, Rank those four classes in your mind as it stands. And I know it's only four kids in 2020, but I'm going to make you do it anyway. Yeah. 17, 18, 19, 20 in order from best to worst. And just explain to people the overall level of those four classes as a whole. Because at some point, like that's going to be a roster. That's going to be like the roster in whatever, 2020. Like it's going to be those four classes. Explain that. Yeah, I think I think I would still put uh, I would put 2017 number one because that was like I don't know it holds some sort of significance just for being the first class to sort of flip it into what this recruiting machine has become now. So I think it would rank that number one. And also, I mean, it had what did it have like 11 top 100 prospects, like six five stars in it. Like it was an absurd class. Um, so I would have 2017 number one. I think even though it only has four commitments right now, I'm going to put 2020 number two and just project that it's going to be probably on like an individual player basis, probably the best class that Urban has signed. Um, I would still put 2017 ahead because of, because of what it signified. But 2020 is going to be really good. Um, they have the two top 100 guys already in Paris Johnson and Jack Miller. And there's a lot of top 100 prospects that, that have Ohio State high on their list right now. It's still very early. Um, but that's one of the things I want to write about when I'm here. And I'm hopeful today on Sunday to talk to Brian Bressy, who's a defensive end from Maryland and the number one overall player in the class. And he has – he's a top 15, but Ohio State, I think, is, is at the top of that top 15. Um, and he's like the next Joey Bosa or whatever. Um, and I think they have a good shot at landing him. Uh, after 2020, I would put 2018 because, again, I think on an individual per-player basis, it was basically as good as 2017. And I would put 2019 last. I do think there's going to be a little bit of a drop. Um, I think we see it with like – we saw with Alabama. Alabama had its run of number one classes forever long. They took a dip, a little bit of a dip last year. I just think it's hard to sustain class on class on class. And overall, 2019, I just think it's not as strong of a class as 17, 18, or 20. So 19 across the board, I think, takes a little bit of a dip across all the positions. So I just don't think that class is going to be as solid. Um, they can still finish strong and still be pretty good. But there's a couple of three-star prospects in 19. Um, and I think just the, the class ranking is going to be a little lower. The individual player rank is going to be a little lower than, than we've been accustomed to the last few years. But 17, 20, and 18 are elite, elite level recruiting classes that if they're not ranked number one overall, it's sort of splitting hairs because I don't know how you tell the difference. It's, it's the three of the best recruiting classes the highest they've ever had are going to be in the last four years. All right. I think this is – we we're, we're going to do another thing, but I think this is the headline. So th this is the headline of this podcast. I want to extend it for another minute. Um, Paris, and I, I don't want this to slip by because Paris Johnson committed since we last had a Buckeye talk. And I wrote a column about it that, listen, he's like the best player in Ohio in 2020. But 
you know, like you're supposed to get him, but, but it's, you can't take it for granted. What did you think, Tim, to get Paris Johnson as a top 10 national player now? What did that mean for Ohio State? Massive. I, I'm, the way I thought about it was when he committed, I was pretty much shocked when he did for multiple reasons. Number one, I mean, he's a top 10 kid. I mean, top 10 kids don't just commit before their junior seasons usually, unless they're quarterback. That hardly ever happens. And number two, and what I think is interesting, is he comes from that greater Catholic League south in Cincinnati where Ohio State historically has not always pulled kids from. I mean, you look at the past, there's been a lot of kids from that area that have gone elsewhere. Uh, Tommy Kramer sticks out on my mind. He's, he's at Notre Dame right now. So to get Paris Johnson this little on this early, nothing short of just tremendous for Ohio State because he's already a top 10 prospect. Bill mentioned Brian Bresting, number one. Another guy in 2020 that sticks out of my mind, Justin Rogers, the guard from Michigan. He's number 13 in the country. And this is a guy who said a couple days before his commitment, when he commits, he's locked in. He's not going anywhere else. So you can almost take it for Ohio State that the tackle problem, which we've talked about in the past, seems like it's getting itself resolved with this commit in the future and along with some of the guys they got right now. They still got ways to go, but this is a guy you can really – Paris Johnson and Jack Miller, I think, are two guys you can build a recruiting class around. And Landis, when we think about tackle recruits at Ohio State, we know when they got Isaiah Prince late, that was a big get. Uh, Petit Frere was a big get. Um, Thayer Munford, we didn't realize at the time how big of a recruit that was, but here he is. He's going to be a starting left tackle as a true sophomore. What's the context of Paris Johnson? What kind of um, – prospect he is at tackle compared to the kinds of players that Ohio State has recruited at tackle under Urban Meyer? I think he's the best and, and I don't I don't necessarily know if it's close. I think I think Nick Petit Frere might have been like the number seven overall player and Paris Johnson's number eight overall player, but Johnson's ranked higher with his player rating. Um he's he's six seven, two hundred and eight 80 something pounds like he's going to put on 25 to 30 more pounds of weight he, he's going to be an absolute monster he, he already is he's I think he's 17 16 or 17 years old I think uh, Jack Miller and Parrish Johnson and what do I know I'm just a novice evaluator of, of football players um, these are two of I think these are the two best players at their position that Urban Meyer has recruited since he's been here um, and that that is backed up by the player rating, but it's more just just watching them. Um, Paris Johnson is going to be a three year starter at left tackle at Ohio State. He's he's really really good. All right, so we're talking about Paris Johnson um, is going to add weight. Obviously, how much weight have you dropped in Dallas? Just sweating every second of every day that you're there. Uh, I don't. Whatever I, I did lose, I put back on in Torchy's tacos uh, on Friday. So I, I probably, I think maybe I lost like 20 pounds from just sweating, and I think I put 25 back on in the form of uh, tacos and queso. Nice. I would. I'd like to add also that as we're podcasting, it's 93 degrees in the shade here in Columbus, so we're not exactly getting spare from the heat either. I imagine it's warmer down there in Frisco, though, Bill. Yeah, it's like the surface of the sun down here. Yeah, you would kill for 93 right now. 93 would feel like... Yeah, 90, 93 sounds cold. And by the way, just as a point of information, we've gotten at least two tweets from people who know the Groundhog guy and say that he would certainly join Buckeye Talk. 
to talk about trapping groundhogs in basements around Columbus. So do you think we should have him on at some point? Yeah, I, w- I would like to hear because I don't think – like my story was crazy from my perspective because I would never expect that to happen. I don't know how crazy that was for everybody else. But I, I would like to have that guy come on and tell us the strangest animals he's found in the strangest places. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll definitely do that. We'll definitely do that um, when we get, uh, we get back and reset a little bit here in a couple of weeks. But for now, uh, Landis, good luck down there. Uh, I know you're headed on a little uh, vacation um, after Dallas. So uh, try to uh, enjoy yourself, and I'll, we'll, uh, we'll see you when you get back. But um, good luck down there. Make sure everyone reading, reading these Bill Landis stories, you're getting good stuff, right? You've gotten good stuff in the first couple of days. You feel good about it? Yeah, I do. I was nervous about it. I didn't. I, I was told it's a little bit of a of a mess trying to get interviews, but but so far so good. Fingers crossed, stay that way the rest of the time. All right, Landis, we'll let you go. Thanks, man. We'll see ya. Yeah. All right, see you guys. All right, so we dumped Bill Landis, me and Tim. We we thought we covered the uh, the recruiting pretty well there, Tim. Right? Like like it's been a crazy week. Again, what is it? As we sit here on Sunday, recording this on Sunday. How many guys in the last seven days? Five guys within less than seven full days. I mean, it started Sunday night with Juan Mathis. Then you had the three in, three days in a row they got to commit Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then capping off this afternoon with Jack Miller. Okay. So that's – and again, that is the result of the early recruiting calendar, right? Now, there's always these periods of time recruits often commit in bunches, there's often like at times of year where it's like, oh, you might be worried and think, oh my gosh, you know, they only have three and this other school has 11. And then all of a sudden, you know, pop, 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 pop. They start getting a couple guys. But this earlier calendar with official visits now allowed earlier, not just starting in the fall of your senior year, that you can do it in the spring and summer uh, of, of before your senior year. This is partly the outcome of that, is it not? Yeah, I'd say so. It's part of the outcome of that, and again, with the early signing period, we're still learning exactly what it all means, because this is really, this is almost experimental. This is the first year of the spring official visits. Ohio State's obviously taking advantage of that. You've got Garrett Wilson, who committed after his official visit. Harry Miller, same thing. You had the big official visit weekend this past weekend, which helped them flip Dwan Mathis. So... Ohio State's definitely taking the strategy of they want to host guys on visits that they think will commit pretty soon. And so far they've gotten three guys before July 1st off of coming off of a few guys coming off official visits. So um, I want to touch briefly on the Scottsdale Princess because Jack Miller's dad runs the Scottsdale Princess, basically, right? Is that not the deal? He's like the GM of the Scottsdale Princess. This is the deal with the Scottsdale Princess. It is Ohio State's home away from home. This era in which Ohio State has lived at the Fiesta Bowl, um, they, they have stayed at the Scottsdale Princess like every time. That the, the Fiesta Bowl has these host hotels that they use year after year. For instance, there's a hotel... It's called the Camelback Resort. It's up against a mountain, and there's a bunch of cacti around, and they have like a little like a nine-hole golf course kind of that they'll give you a club. That's the Media Hotel, and that has been the Media Hotel um, forever. Like I've stayed there a few times. One time I stayed in like a like a 
Airbnb with some guys from the Ozone and some guys from Buckeye Grove. And the one guy walked into a cactus tree with his eyeball. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. I want to stay at the nice hotel. Um, but the Scottsdale Princess is one of the two hotels for the teams. And they're the same every year. And for whatever reason, the Scottsdale Princess has been Ohio State's hotel. Like every time. Every year. I'm trying to look. I can't. So, so when they played Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl after the 2015 season, I'm looking at a story from Ohio State talking about the Scottsdale Princess then. It said it was Ohio State's sixth time at the Scottsdale Princess since 2002. And then the Ohio State went back to the Fiesta Bowl the next year when they played Clemson in the playoff semifinal. And I'm sure they stayed at the Scottsdale Princess then. So that would be seven times that Ohio State stayed there between 2002 and 2016. And that's like when Jack Miller grew up. So if Jack Miller... So what year is it? It's 2018? Yeah. So like Jack Miller was like a baby when Ohio State stayed at the Scottsdale Princess and won the national championship. So like this is embedded DNA. I don't know if his dad was the GM back then or whatever, but again, like if that is a thing that if 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 his dad was there a long time, this is like a crazy one of those crazy coincidences. There's also the story that Emma Stone, right? Mm-hmm. I was just watching Superbad again the other day. Great film. Emma Stone, like from Spider-Man or whatever, her parents at some time were like the general managers of this Camelback Resort that I was talking about where the media stays for the Fiesta Bowl. So maybe like, I don't know, like in 2002, maybe little Jack Miller was like a baby at the Scottsdale Princess with the players and like... Maybe Emma Stone was like in elementary school, like at the at the hotel where the media stayed. So there's lots of famous people in Scottsdale. So that is the story of Jack Miller becoming a Buckeye. And as we like to say, when there are kids from outside Ohio who commit to Ohio State, look for the connection. Men, Tate Martell's grandpa went to Ohio State. Look for the connection. There is often a connection that for some reason they liked Ohio State as a kid or they have family in Ohio, aunts and uncles and cousins in Ohio. They visited here. Ohio State finds those connections. Mark Pantone sniffs them out. That when they look at like the top 300 kids in the country, they look to see are there connections. Now, sometimes the connection is the kid plays at a high school where Ohio State's recruited before and had success. But they don't like to waste their time just shooting in the dark. So it's it's you'll often find these stories, and the story of Jack Miller becoming a Buckeye, I think, may start with uh, baby Jack Miller hanging out with Craig Krenzel or something. We'll have to ask. Yeah, I've never gone on a bowl trip. You guys can obviously speak to the Scottsdale experience at the Camelback way more than I ever could. I've never been to inside the state of Arizona in my life. There are cacti everywhere. And if you don't look out where you're watching, where you're walking, and if you've had too much to drink, you might get a cactus needle right in your frickin' eyeball. So watch out, people. Tim, if you find your way to Arizona at some point in life, don't walk into a cactus. All right. A reminder, listen to our other podcasts on Cleveland.com, Wine and Gold Talk on the Cavs, Orange and Brown Talk 
on the Browns. Cleveland Baseball Talk on the Indians. Takes by the Lake, which was about the Browns again this past week. Um, Takes by the Lake is going to be on a two-week hiatus because I'm going to be gone for a little while. But Buckeye Talk is going to continue wherever you subscribe to Buckeye Talk on a podcast app. Again, you should be subscribed to Buckeye Talk. That's the best way to get us. Subscribe separately to the other Cleveland.com podcasts or find all of our podcasts in one place at cleveland.com slash podcasts. Time for the farts. Tim Bielek, what you got? We've got a couple good ones this week. Um, I'll go. I'll just go with the fart of the week from Jack Hewitt, titled Keeps Me Off the Streets. Nice. I don't know what I would do without my weekly dose of Buckeye Talk. Probably do meth? I don't know. It wouldn't be good. I did not read that part. I did not pre-screen that part. Some of these I pre-screen before I read, but I didn't pre All right. Doug, Bill, and Tari, a Tim-Ari hybrid, because can anyone really tell the difference between the two? I hope I hope you and Bill can by now. What if that is a giant scam and that we the person actually didn't change? It's just that it took on a new personality and like changed the appearance slightly. Like that, Say that Ari committed a grievous crime and he decided to hide in broad daylight by acting like he went and got another job and oh there's this other guy that comes in but actually you're the same person what that would watch that movie i would watch that movie are we sure that movie hasn't happened yet yeah um all right continue all right doug bill and tari have the most knowledgeable and interesting buckeye related discussions every week that is until they deep dive into robots, food, and whether poutine is a trash food or not. They were my first suggestion on the subreddit r slash Ohio State Football, where I said, come for the Buckeye discussions, but stay for the food talk. But I was downvoted like ten times. What? <laughs> Sometimes other podcasters must be pretty salty these guys have the top pot around. Keep up the good work, and don't let others get you down about three-hour podcasts. I personally love them long. That's what she said. Um, that's a good review. That's a good review. Thank to Jack. Thanks to Jack Kuwich, who also tweeted at us a couple times this week. Yeah. Thanks for that, man. Mitch three three one seven also said the week that you weren't on the podcast was disappointing because he loves your rants about things that don't really matter, but he loves the passion. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I uh, have noticed that I do say the same thing. I'm trying to talk faster. Here's two things that I'm going to try to get better at. We can always all get better in everyday life. Sometimes I want to speak clearly to the point that I talk very slowly. And also, I do have a tendency to say the same thing again and again. I'll just take one thing and repeat it. I won't just say something one time. I'll say it two times or three times. And I'll just have a point that I just beat to death. And in an attempt to be, uh, to, to be an expert on a subject, I will just say the same words over and over again. Rather than moving on to a new topic, you might think, oh... He's going to talk about something else. No, I go back to the original point, and my point here is sometimes I make the same point, the same point, I make it. That point that I'm making repeatedly, I make it. And I'm going to try to change that. I'm going to try to get in and get out. Here's what we're getting into now. Ohio State top 50 players, it's been happening for a month. Every day. Is it every day, Tim? Yeah, every day since, I believe, the middle of June. And we're taking this, I believe, into the second day of Big Ten Media Days, which is, I believe, when we're supposed to get Urban Meyer. Nice. So we'll be, we'll be finishing this up on July 24th. Um, it's a breakdown of the top 
50 players on the roster. And what we're going to do today, we're going to get to your questions later in the podcast, as always. We have a good variety there. But we're going to talk about the roster, because we're getting to that time. We're time to talk about the roster. We talked about recruiting. We're going to talk about the roster. We're going to go through the top 50, which was compiled by Tim and Bill, because I like forgot to respond to the email, or I don't know. I was in Disney World. Who knows? So what that means is I did not have input in the top 50 list, which allows me to shoot holes in the top 50 list. Fire away. So we're not going to run through every single one. You guys should be reading these on cleveland.com slash OSU. Every, every new ranking, and we went started at 50, we're going up to one. Every one includes the, all the previous rankings. So you can get caught up very easily. Um, we're going to start from 50, and I'm going to talk about guys that I think are interesting. And I'm going to make you, on behalf of Bill, explain yourself, Tim, for why this guy is where he is. So I want to delve in on number 49, true freshman Josh Proctor at safety. Why was he number 49 in your mind? For instance, fellow safety candidates, Brendan White is 48, Amir Reap is 41. I'm sure we're going to get to some other safeties coming up. We know Jordan Fuller's a starter. Isaiah Pryor is 29, right? Those are basically the top candidates for the safety spot opposite Jordan Fuller, Correct. Yes. So what you and Bill are saying with your list, again, Isaiah Pryor, 29. Wait, I'm repeating myself. I'm trying to be clear, but I don't want to repeat it. You guys remember what I said. Why did you rank them in that order with Pryor at the top and Proctor as a candidate who's in there at 49? Because we're expecting Pryor is the number one candidate to be a starter opposite Jordan Fuller. And even though he wasn't given that title coming out of spring, that's kind of He's the number one contender, as you would say, in you know your wrestling, boxing, UFC lexicon. Probably the most likely candidate because he played the most and he yeah. shows a lot. Um, Amir Reap, we had at 41, moving over from corner. There's coverage ability there. He obviously factored in on special teams. He was frequently involved in kick coverage. Uh, Brendan White, 48. I just love his athletic capability. He just looks like... I mentioned this in spring. He just looks like a guy that will force his way on the field in some capacity, whether you really want to go with a heavy nickel set, which I'm kind of making up, to have him as kind of that 11th defender who can kind of be a mix between a safety and a linebacker in certain situations. And Josh Proctor, 49, tremendous athlete from Oklahoma. Urban Meyer and Greg Schiano both mentioned him out of the spring, even though he hadn't been there yet, considering they hadn't had that second safety spot settled but Proctor did a lot of things in high school. I, I did commit roundups every week. Almost every other week, he made a dynamic play that was that makes you want to go on the YouTube and like check it out every week. So I think we've probably beaten this opposite safety spot to death to some degree, but it's important, you know, because um, I think we talked about that safety spot a lot in 2015 when they had Malik Hooker, Garyon Conley, and Marshawn Lattimore. Three first-round draft picks in the secondary, and the fourth guy was Damon Webb. And we felt like at that time, Damon Webb as a first-year starter, teams were, I don't know if picking on him is the right thing, but but it would crop up sometimes that a lot of times when teams were hitting pass plays on that defense, they were hitting them against Damon Webb. As we know, Damon Webb turned out to be a really good, no, not 15, 16. 2016 were those guys. 15 was still Von Bell and Tyus Powell, those guys. 2016 was the Hooker, Lattimore, Conley secondary with Damon Webb there. We obviously know by the end of his career, Damon Webb was a very good player. In 2017, he was the only returning guy in the secondary, and I think everybody thought he had a very good year and was at his best at the end of the year. So all credit to Damon Webb. But no matter how good your other secondary guys are, 
if you have a weak link or weaker link, opposing offenses will find that. So if Jordan Fuller's awesome, they're not going to throw at Jordan Fuller's side of the field very much. If, if, if Kendall Sheffield and Damon Arnett or Jeffrey Okuda are the corners who are on the field are awesome, they're going to try to get guys matched up in the slot and get them on that opposite safety or do what they have to do. So that's why I think this opposite safety spot is so important. And to me, it felt like as much as we talked to coaches and guys did things in the spring, it felt like to me the real competition at that safety spot hasn't started yet. And that's because Josh Proctor wasn't there. I don't think that you guys should have put Josh Proctor any higher than 49 as a guy who has not taken part in a single practice yet. But I am waiting for them to tell us that Josh Proctor, as a true freshman, is making a move on that job. Now, it's easy to get excited about true freshmen. Very few play. We made a huge deal out of it when Michael Jordan started on the offensive line as a true freshman a couple years ago. I made the point then that that was a, a, a poor reflection on Ohio State as much as it was a great reflection on Michael Jordan. All credit to Michael Jordan. A true freshman shouldn't have to start. I think it's possible that in the end, we're going to find out that the other candidates were fine at this safety spot. They weren't great. And I think it's possible that Josh Proctor comes in and, and steals this job. And I say steal from the standpoint, Tim, that he shouldn't be it. You shouldn't be starting true freshman, but I am keeping that door open because it felt like to me the coaches kept that door open because they didn't name a starter at that spot coming out of spring. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned about the pressure on that second safety, I think that's why they've taken it. They ha- they didn't name a guy because they know coming in he's going to be a guy they're going to teams are going to pick on from day one. They're not going to pick on Jordan Fuller. They're not going to pick on Kendall Sheffield, Damon Arnett. They're going to put pick on Isaiah Pryor and whoever becomes that third corner until they're proven to be quality capable guys and I think that's why you, that's why they really want to make sure a guy is ready for that pressure because you're not going to be able to stick the toe and you got to jump in feet first cannonball in that pool when you get on the field as a starter. Number 47 on the list is Tyreek Smith, another true freshman. Why is he in the top 50 at all? Because he's just an absolute dynamic athlete on that defensive line. I I watched the Under Armour game when he played you had a couple other talented guys, including Brendan Cox, who was formerly in Ohio State, came in before he signed with Georgia. He was Smith was one of the best players on the field, just an absolute dynamic athlete, and there's still raw football ability that hadn't been tapped into because he's only played high school football for two seasons. He's also he's a basketball player, so that can kind of continues that trend of guys who coming to Ohio State who have a basketball background, like Rashad Berry and Jalen Harris. I don't. Smith could be a guy who competes for that fourth spot. I know talking to Larry Johnson, he said that fourth spot, Jay Sean Cornell's not safe. He's gonna have to fight off guys like Tyreek Smith, who are coming for that. I don't think Smith is gonna have as much of an impact as Chase Young did because Chase Young was just special. But I think Smith is a good enough athlete that you'll see him at times this coming fall. And I think that's the comparison that that it begs the question here. My question is, how much is he really gonna play? Because they have three defensive ends that are very good and have been waiting to play. Nick Bosa has played, but Chase Young and Jonathan Cooper have been waiting to play. They are obviously the top three defensive ends. I contend they're not going to rotate as much as they did um, last year because they're going to keep their best guys on the field. I don't think they're going to be interested in taking Nick Bosa off the field very much. However, I did not think Chase Young was going to play that much because they had four established defensive ends last year, and he got on the field. Chase Young, as the fifth defensive end, 
played meaningful snaps for an Ohio State team that was a national title contender. I don't know how much I think Tyreek Smith is going to play. A, because I don't think he's Chase Young, as you mentioned. And B, I just don't know... I just don't know the situation where you say, we're taking, we're going to have two of these three guys, Bosa, Cooper, and Young. Two of those three are going to be off the field so that Tyreek Smith can be on the field. And this is not at all, it's zero criticism of Tyreek Smith. I think Proctor, because there are less established guys at his spot, I would have Proctor higher than Smith, based more on opportunity and their position, because I think Proctor absolutely could be one of the top two safeties at that other safety spot, because I there's opportunity there. Tyreek Smith, I just wonder how much he's going to play. So I think you guys messed it up. I'm blaming you. No, I'm not blaming. But I, I'm saying I question Tyreek Smith at that spot, because I think it's possible he just doesn't play. Do you think, in the end... How, how We don't think he's Chase Young. Very few people are Chase Young. But in terms of playing time and impact, what Chase Young did as the fifth defensive end last year, how much he got to play and what he did, if Tyreek Smith is the fourth defensive end this year, how do you think you would compare his potential impact to Young's impact last year? I think maybe a little step down because Young is just such a physical, such a force. We commented, you know, when we came into fall camp, he looks like a guy who could already be in the NFL. Smith's still raw, and I think he probably still needs a bit of coaching, but just that pure athleticism is there. So maybe if he's the fourth guy, then I would expect him to have similar production to Young because of the ability maybe to slide guys around in that defensive line. Larry Johnson, again, has some options to work with, which I'm very intrigued how he's going to line up because you have four very good defensive linemen to start with, and then you have a good group of depth behind those four. I'm curious what that shuffle is going to look like because I expect Bosa and Young are going to get a ton of snaps together and then occasionally you see Jonathan Cooper rotate in when those guys need a little bit of a breather. Number 45 and 44 on our list. Again, you can find this at cleveland.com slash OSU. Just go to the latest guy. Go, go in our river there, our list of stories. Find the latest guy on the list and you'll see the whole list in that post. 45 is Nicholas Petit-Frere, true freshman. 44 is Joshua Allaby. We're talking backup tackles. We're talking backup tackles behind Thayer Munford and Isaiah Prince. We think Munford's at left, Prince is at right. We know they're going to be the two starting tackles. Are these the two second-team tackles? I would, I would say so. And when I look at uh, Josh Allaby, I think he's the number one, guy, number one backup largely because of experience because he's been doing that, and he's got a couple years into the program. He's heading into his junior season. And then Nick Petit-Frere, I think the big reason, like, I I agree with where we have him. I mean, he's 272 pounds. I think if you're playing at Ohio State, a 272-pound offensive tackle, that's kind of, that is not a good thing. That's kind of why I was more inclined to really want to redshirt him, because I think he needs to put on some more weight to really be capable. I'm not doubting his talent by any stretch of the imagination, don't get me wrong with that, but 272 pounds is pretty slight for a Big Ten left, Big Ten offensive tackle. You know what, they're not, the they're not, the, 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 the first backup tackle is going to be Brandon Bowen. And Brandon Bowen was a starting last guard last year before, a starting guard last year before he got hurt. He came in as a tackle. Um, he's not, I'm sure he's, we don't want to give it away, He's not, hasn't been done yet. So he's somewhere in the top he's 20. In the, he's in the top 20. So um, either Brandon Bowen, 
Brandon Bowen and Demetrius Knox are fighting for a starting guard spot. We know Michael Jordan is going to be one of the starting guards. Knox came in last year when Bowen got hurt. Either So they basically split the starting guard job last year. The, the guy who doesn't win that job is your sixth offensive lineman this year. We love to write about the sixth offensive lineman. And I think that always matters because you're not just a backup at a spot. You're the next. You're probably the next guy in because you hope you have enough versatility that let's say that even if 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 Bowen won a starting spot and Knox was the sixth guy, if one of the tackles got hurt, I think you'd put Bowen at tackle and Knox comes in as your starting guard, and that's how you adjust. So I don't think Petit Frere or Alibi are going to be one injury away from starting. Right? Do you agree with what I'm saying about the top six offensive linemen? Yeah, I, I honestly think when you when I talk about the six linemen, I think Bowen might be better suited for that because I think, unlike Knox, I think Bowen has more ability to play tackle. I think yes. Knox seems like a pure guard. Like, if, yep. if uh, Michael Jordan goes down with an injury, you move Knox to the left side and put Bo- insert Brandon Bowen or, at right guard, yep. and you just go from there. Yeah, and I think, I think even beyond that, if Bowen, the Bowen-Knox guy who doesn't win that job is your sixth guy. I think Josh Myers is probably your seventh guy because, again, Myers can play all three interior spots, either guard spot or center. So I think, again, Michael Jordan, I'm sure, could play tackle in an emergency. And, again, over time, if you had two injuries on the offensive line, I think you would find a spot where, like, I don't think Alibi and Petit Frere would start even with two injuries because I think Myers would start. And then Jordan or would kick to tackle. You know what I mean? So I think Josh Proctor should be ahead of both of those guys. Because, again, I think Josh Proctor at his best is closer to the field and closer to real playing time than either of those guys are. Right, And, and Urban Meyer also remarked at spring that he was, for the first time in a while, felt pretty comfortable with the offensive line depth. Like, we've talked about it before that it seemed like that, that was a problem. He felt pretty pleased with it after spring. Number 43 on our list is tight end Jeremy Ruckert, another true freshman. The Ruckert train is chugging along. People are excited, excuse me, excited about Jeremy Ruckert. Luke Farrell was a guy that impressed a lot of people um, in spring. He is, have we gotten him yet? He is, he's in the top 20, I yeah, guess. Yeah, he is number 28, and we have Rashad oh, Berry, number right. 34. So of the, the tight end. The and, tight end room is done. And Houseman didn't make the top, make our top 50. So our tight end, Farrell 28, Rashad Berry 34, Jeremy Ruckert 43. Again, I think when you're doing a list like this, I mean, it's, this is not like potential, how good they're going to be. This is like the, the top 50 guys for this year. Who do you think is closer to real playing time? I'm not going to say who I think yet. Who is closer to real playing time as true freshman, Josh Proctor or Jeremy Ruckert? Jeremy Ruckert. Why is Jeremy Ruckert closer? Because I, I just look at what he did in high school, his frame. He will find a way in this offense in some capacity. I know tight end's a position where you're going to want to block a little. You're going to want blocking, especially with Ohio State shifting to a quarterback that is not as, as much of a runner as JT Barrett. So blocking becomes more important. But I think... Jeremy Ruckert, at his size and as his athleticism, you have to find a way to get him on the field. I was thinking this on the drive over. Imagine you're inside the five-yard line. Mm-hmm. You could have a red zone package of Austin Mack out wide, Jeremy Ruckert in the slot, and Luke Farrell at tight end. That's 6'2", 6'5", and I believe 6'6", on one side of the football. 
that's a quarterback's dream to have three guys who are that tall on a quarterback in Haskins who we we know and we saw, particularly against Michigan, he has no fear of making difficult throws. There's just, even though Ruckert is not, like, might still have to learn some nuances at tight end, there will, I'm sure with what he can do as an athlete, there's going to be some way he's going to get on the field. Yeah, I think I think there's room for, for lack of a better word, a receiving tight end and a blocking tight end. I think Rashad Berry's a wild card. Uh, I think he flashed at times last year. I don't I don't know. Farrell moved past Rashad Berry in the spring. I don't know that they think Rashad Berry is like an every down tight end. Um, I think there's a spot for Ruckert in the offense right now. I don't I, I agree with you. I don't think it requires an injury for him to get on the field. I think they will find a way for him to be involved in 15 offensive plays pretty early. And if he proves that he can block at all, I think his role could expand. 42, Sean Wade, he's the fourth corner, right? He yes. was hurt last year. We, we know that our expectation is that Okuda, Arnett, and Sheffield are going to be the three-man corner rotation for two spots. Sean Wade is up next. And I think it's – you don't want to forget about Sean Wade. I don't think we have to spend a ton of time on him. Um, he was right there with Okuda as a recruit. He redshirted last year primarily because of injury. I think Sean Wade – I'm I'm going to keep my eye on Sean Wade in preseason practice because I, I'm waiting for Sean Wade to do things that make Ohio State say, well, he's got to play too. Because the corner rotation does not have to be three. It could be four. You could – they rotate – at receiver, they rotate six through three spots. They basically have two guys at all three receiver positions. At corner, what Kerry Combs did the last couple of years was have three guys rotating through the two spots. If Tabor Johnson, the new cornerbacks coach, wanted to say, well, I'm going to have, you know, Sheffield and Wade play the boundary and Arnett and Okuda play the field corner and we're going to rotate that way that there's, you know, there's a two-man rotation to each corner spot and now we're rotating four, I mean, that could happen. We don't know what Tabor Johnson's going to do, but I think it's possible that Sean Wade is good enough and I think it's possible that, that Sheffield and Arnett are a step below Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore, Garyon Conley, that, you know, this is the same thing with the Nick Bosa discussion. Rotations are great, but if you have a superstar, you don't want to take him off the field. So I think it's possible Wade is going to be, as a number four corner, is going to be close enough in talent level to the number one corner that I'm not ruling out the idea of a four-man rotation because I don't know that it would be like, oh, we can't take Kendall Sheffield off the field. He's too awesome. I might be like, no, Sean Wade is almost as good as him. So let's keep them both fresh. I'm, I'm just keeping an open mind to the idea of a four-man corner rotation instead of a three. And if it is a four-man, Wade's the next guy in. Yeah, I kind of believe that. And I, I wrote this when I was talking about Damon Arnett. Um, is that with Denzel Ward gone, your security blanket's gone. Now there's a lot of pressure on that room. Arnett and Sheffield in particular because of the most experienced guys. And then you have that third spot, which is Okuda. Wade seems like the next guy will force his way in. And I think people forget because Wade didn't play last year. He was the, in his high school senior year, he was the USA Today Defensive Player of the Year in high school over Jeffrey Okuda. And this is the this was the other five-star corner I think people forget about, obviously, because he didn't play. Okuda got the hype, rightfully so, because he was able to get on the field. Got a lot of reps in the Cotton Bowl with Denzel Ward sitting the game out. Um, but both guys are talented. I think with Okuda being out for the spring, Wade got a chance to play a little catch-up there. 
Well, let me ask this then. Why is Marcus Williamson number 37, who's also a corner, and Sean Wade is number 42? Why did you guys think Marcus Williamson should be ahead of Sean Wade on this list? Uh, right now, he's just more proven, I think. you know, he, And he presents something... Who cares? In- Who's going to play more this fall? You think Marcus Williamson? Well, what, well, you just agreed with me that Sean Wade's going to be the fourth corner. Well, what but I, you guys ranked Marcus Williamson as the fourth corner. Well, I mean, there's still a lot unknown about Wade, I think. Williamson is interesting because he's the shortest corner of the team. If there's a situation where he forces his way in, maybe you match him up against smaller receivers because all of Ohio State's corners are taller. We know Sheffield is a speed demon. We don't know. The other guys could be fast, but I mean. You, in case you need a guy, like a break glass in case of emergency, 5'10 corner to cover a 5'6 receiver who was just carving those guys. <laughs> and what- So now, so the number 30, Ohio State's 37th most valuable player this fall is the guy whose job is to cover 5'6 receivers? That's too high. Marcus Williamson's too high. I would not have, I would not have put Sean Wade behind Marcus Williamson. Okay. Landis. <laughs> number 38 is Jalen Harris at receiver. Um, Landis, it was last podcast or two podcasts ago, gave us his receiver breakdown, which is, it was last podcast, but we talked about the receivers a ton. Landis feels like his top three guys are Austin Mack, Paris Campbell, and who's his other one? He didn't say K.J. Hill, did he? No, he did say K.J. Hill. Okay. Landis's top three are Austin Mack, Paris Campbell, and K.J. Hill. His next three are Johnny Dixon, uh, Terry McLaurin, and who was his other one? Did he say Ben Victor? And Ben Victor. God, why can't I remember guys on the team? All right. <laughs> I have to repeat myself now because I can't remember what I'm thinking. Just think, Landis, the, just think the six guys from last season. The Landis' top three are Mack, Campbell, and Hill. His second three are Dixon, McLaurin, and Victor. We then included Jalen Harris and DeMario McCall as wild cards because we're just not exactly sure how they're going to fit in. That's eight legitimate dudes that can't play eight. Jalen Harris is number 38 on this list. I'm sure all the other receivers that I just talked about are higher, which makes sense. So that, so that this, is, this tells you something about this receiver group. As we're ranking the top 50 players for Ohio State in 2018, eight of the top 38 guys are receivers. And five out of the top, and I think six, no, five or six in the top twenty-five. I've, I have to, I'll count on my own. While okay. I keep so, what is do, do you expect? Short answer: Do you expect Jalen Harris to make any kind of major contribution to Ohio State this season? Sure. How, but how? You think he's going to beat out? Because again. This is not, we're talking about 2018. It's not a criticism of Jalen Harris. He's only a second-year guy. And they're going to lose, like, every receiver on the roster after this year. So in 2019, Jalen Harris will be fighting to start. How does he make a contribution in 2018? Who's he playing instead of? Well, that, that's, that's where we move up uh, 15 spots in number 23, Ben Victor. I wrote about him on Sunday when I said that consistency was his biggest issue, something he was fighting. And in a receiver room where you got DeMario McCall and Jalen Harris breathing down your neck, if you're not consistent enough, next guy up is going to get his shot. And I think Jalen Harris is just so physically gifted. We saw a lot of them this spring. You know, he just looks the part. He's a 6'5", athlete, can jump out of the gym. We saw bits and pieces in garbage time last season. Um, and it's going to come down to how the how the receiver room is going to change uh, with 
Dwayne Haskins taking over a quarterback, how he's going to want guys to take chances, and I, I'm his upside. I'm getting out a notepad and I'm making Tim nervous because we're about to do something. His upside, I th- he's he still has I think the biggest upside out of that group, with the exception of McCall. He's got a higher upside than I think maybe outside of everybody except maybe Austin Mack and Demario McCall in that room. All right, we're going to play a game. Okay. We could have played this last week when we talked a ton about the receivers with Phil Steele, but we didn't. We're going to play a game called Tim Bielek predicts which predicts which Ohio State receivers will have the most receiving yards in 2018. And we're not doing tight ends, so we don't have to figure out how Ruckert and Barry and Luke Farrell fit in there. We're not doing running backs. It's not about how much they throw to Dobbins and Weber. We're doing the eight main guys that we've talked about, a receiver and H-back. I want you to list in order your projection for how those eight guys will rank at the end of the year in receiving yards. Who will lead Ohio State in receiving yards? We've got to save, are we saving this for the end of the season? We've got to find like a way to like bury this in a tank. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to tape it to my wall right under my Epcot sign. Cool. Uh, number one, Austin Mack. Who's two? Uh, Paris. Who's three? I'm going to say Johnny Dixon because I think he'll be big play, big yards guy. Four? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say KJ because they're going to target him a lot on big situations like that. Five? Uh, Terry McLaurin. Six? Um, Demario. Seven? All you got left is Victor and Jalen. Uh, I'm going to say Victor and then Jalen. Okay, so... So you just made a case. I asked you of how much Jalen Harris was going to play. You said, yeah, I think he's going to make an impact. You think he's going to be eighth on the team in receiving yards. Well, I mean, impact in the sense that he can, he's a guy. He's going to have like 194 receiving yards. Well, against, and, and, and 81 of it's going to be against Rutgers. What could also be the quality of catches. I mean, six. No. Five, again, I mentioned red zone situation. Stop. They're going to put their eighth best receiver in at the goal line. It's okay to say he's not going to play. Well, Everybody can't play. I know. It's only so, one football. But you, there is only one football. And so it's hard. I just think, like, I think Sean Wade should be ahead of Jalen Harris. I think there are some guys. I just think, and it's, I think Jalen Harris is going to be good. I think Ohio State fans should be super excited about Jalen Harris. It's his second year, and everybody came back. I just don't think this is Jalen Harris's year. Now, I, I will buy the idea that he's maybe fighting Ben Victor for a spot. But if we think DeMario's going to play, I think they both might be out. Because in our imaginary scenario where DeMario McCall and Paris Campbell are the H-backs and they move KJ outside, then your four outside receivers are Mack, Dixon, KJ Hill, and McLaurin. And your two H-backs are Campbell and, and, and DeMario. And that leaves out Victor and Jalen. So that's your rotation of six. They're just, I mean, like, you know, the seventh receiver doesn't play very much. So <clears throat> I understand that the other receivers are ranked higher. I just thought Jalen Harris at 38 is interesting. That's not super high. I just wanted to have, I just wanted to talk about Jalen Harris. Number 36, I'm going to let Tim Bielek just, just go crazy on himself. Go crazy, Tim Bielek, about number 36, linebacker Pete Werner. I wrote about Pete Warner as I was driving back from the Indians game, which was my Father's Day present to my dad. We took my dad and my fiance's dad to an Indians game. I think they ended up winning. I wrote that on the drive back. Nice. And as I was writing it, I quit like reading all the stuff I could because I like to do some research, obviously. <sighs> research. But um, 
I the thing that people weren't P1 or I identify was, I've talked about it before, he he had the hit of the season last year against Illinois, which won't happen because teams are just probably not going to return kicks if they're ever planted in the corner again. But Pete Warner was a guy who Urban Meyer likes. I, he's not going to start. I I expect fully expect the outside linebackers to be Malik Harrison and Keandre Jones, who by now we've written about. You can read about those guys. Warner will be kind of rotational. He could be an ace on special teams, but I just kind of... Watching him, I just love the way he plays downhill, and he really attacks people. And we talked, I've mentioned before, of the rise of Thayer Munford as kind of one of the low-ranked prospects. Pete Warner's in a similar group. He wasn't one of those top-ranked guys, but he got on the field, and by the end of the, end of the year, some, there were some people who knew who he was. All right, let me ask you this. Why is Pete Warner 36 and Justin Hilliard 32, comparing some linebackers? Why do we think that Justin Hilliard is going to make more of an impact this year than Pete Warner? Because I expect Justin Hilliard, with tough Borland's injury, will be one of those other one of those four linebackers. I think we'll start with Jones and Harrison outside, and then Hilliard battling uh, Baron Browning to start. Hilliard will be in that mix, and he'll play more often. I think. Who do you think will be the starting middle linebacker week one? Oh, that's hard. It, you you think it's down to Hilliard and Browning, right? I think we all do. Is that, yeah, is that I, a fair? I believe so. Okay. I think it's going to be Browning. Um, I think Baron Browning has to get on the field more. Yes. Uh, so, you, but you, but you guys believe in this ranking? It's that Justin Hilliard again. It's path to the field. You think the path to the field for Justin Hilliard with the Borland injury? If Borland was healthy, and then we thought the middle linebackers were Borland and Browning, and then Justin Hilliard is like kind of in there because Browning can play outside as well then maybe Pete Warner has a better path to the field. But but we think the tough Borland injury has created a, a better path to the field for Justin Hilliard, at least for the first month. Yes, and I, I would always, I'm always worry about Achilles things because usually in sports the word Achilles means full year. And yeah. they, they say September. I would be leery of that just because, like, I don't know how much you want to rush that kind of injury, and we know how much Urban Meyer loves tough Borland. I would imagine there could be a situation where they don't want to rush him back because you don't want an 80% tough Borland. If if Borland is that important, you need him at 100%, and that means more snaps, well, I'd say the first half of the season for, for Hilliard and Browning. I'm very interested in tough Borland. All I'm worried about, not worried, I'm not worried. I get paid the same no matter what happens. I'm not worried. I'm curious. Tough Borland and the Penn State game. That is the target to me. Um... He's not going to be back for TCU. T- uh, Penn State's week five. And Penn State feels like the kind of team where they could use him. Now, I know Penn State likes to spread it out too and whatever, but I just feel like that's that's a game with a potent offense. They're going to have a good running back. Who's the running back for Penn State that's replacing, replacing Barkley? I believe it's Miles Sanders, who I believe was also a five-star prospect. Okay, so that they could use Tough Borland for that game. And I'll be very curious if he's back for it or not. Um, and, and a lot of Pete Warner, you know, it depends. If Keandre Jones, Malik Harrison, and Baron Browning and Justin Hilliard all play well, then there's maybe not a path to the field. But but we saw last year the linebackers at the end of the year did not look like the same linebackers from the start of the year. So I think uh, I don't know that I trust Bill Davis to get it right in week one. And Pete Warner feels like the kind of guy that I think people could fall in love with and say, why isn't this guy playing more? But I think number one on that list is Baron Browning. They have got to get... I can't remember if I wrote it or not. Again, I... 
If we haven't written about it now, we will like 16 times in August. Yeah, I mean, I had the conversation with Bill Davis about like, you don't you have to get this guy on the field? I, it bothers me when they recruit five star kids and then don't get them on the field. And I, and I understand there's a million guys here, but if you if you recruit a kid that you think is exceptional and he's ready, you got to play him. You can't you can't play the waiting game because some older guy is there. So I think they've got to get Baron Browning on the field. So I think there's a couple guys in this linebacker room to watch who are going to be pushing. And I think Warner's in that group for sure. Yeah, It's definitely four guys. Maybe if you want to throw Warner in there for five, it's four or five guys for three spots right now. And again, they've proven they'll rotate a little bit there. I think that's fine. I mean, I'm always – I don't believe the rotation until you see it. I think it takes the right kind of coach to do it. Um, Zach Smith has done it successfully. Kerry Combs has done it successfully. They did it a little bit last year with the linebackers. We know Larry Johnson has done it. So it's spread. They're going to do it at running back this year. Tony Alford's going to have to do it. They're basically rotating almost everywhere. I don't know if they might. Maybe they'll rotate the safety spot. You know, and that and that Jordan Fuller's going to play every down. And maybe maybe we're asking, well, is it going to be Proctor or Pryor or Reap or White? Maybe there's more than one answer. So I'm very curious. We've seen the rotation thing kind of spread through the roster. I'm curious how it's going to work specifically with these linebackers this year. 35 on the list. So it's 38 Jalen Harris, 37 Marcus Williamson, too high. 36 Pete Werner, 35 Tate Martell. Is placing Tate Martell 35 placing the backup quarterback there? Or is Tate Martell there as the backup quarterback slash dude who might get on the field in other ways? I think he's dude who will find some way to get on the field. <clears throat> We've talked about the changing of Ohio State's quarterback philosophy and that Haskins is nowhere near the runner Barrett is. That doesn't mean he can't move. I love Bill's term, functional mobility. But Martell... Also a good name for a strip club, by the way. <laughs> Have we told Landis that? Functional mobility? I would not want to go to that one. That's, I don't want to talk, discuss in the podcast, but it doesn't sound like a strip club I go to. Functional... Oh, by the way, uh, Stormy Daniels is coming to Columbus. I saw... Now, just in case people think that I drive past strip clubs, the... The strip club, I don't know how many strip clubs there are in Columbus. I don't know how many strip clubs there are in Cleveland. There was a strip club in Montreal when I covered baseball back in the day. I covered baseball for four years as a traveling beat writer. I covered the Phillies. Three of those years were Terry Francona. Young man, and there was a famous strip club in Montreal. God, what was it called? I can't think of the name of it Was it an English name or a French name? A French name. God, why can't I? Is it? It's not. Uh, just look up Tim Google Montreal, <laughs> Google Montreal Strip Club, and then explain that to your fiance when she gets on your computer uh, next week. <laughs> but there was a strip club in Montreal where like all the players and all the writers went, and I was like, I, all I can think of is Cafe Du Monde, but that's the that's the the donut place in New Orleans. Although Cafe Du Monde is not a terrible name for a strip joint either, and. Uh, it was like I wanted. It was like I just like. Well, everybody goes. Can I go sometimes? So I asked my wife. I said, "Can I go to the strip club with everybody sometime?" And she was like, "Yes, you idiot. You can go to the strip club." But then I never went. Then I never went. So I don't know. Did you look it up? <laughs> you did. Not. I don't want it to show Tim, up on my computer. Search Montreal. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> Montreal strip clubs. And uh, yeah, IT guys need to look at my computer soon. Montreal. <laughs> 
strip clubs. Chez Paris. Chez Paris is what it was called. It was not called the Kama Sutra Club, which also comes up. <laughs> Montreal's Best Strip Clubs with Photos by Thrillist. This is a Thrillist <laughs> clickbait. Chez Paris. Here's the description. See, I never went. Oh, my God, I wanted to go. Pop-up pop up ad. With leather couches and bouncers in tuxes and one hell of a bachelor party show, Chez Paris will make your last night of freedom at least a teeny bit swanky, if not completely free. I don't know what that means. Okay, I, so I it's swanky. I think swanky, they're referring to the leather couches and the bouncers and oh, tuxes, which yeah. I, I've never been to a strip club, but that I find that interesting. So I wanted to go to the strip club. My wife said that I could go. Uh, but I never went, so I probably should have gone. And then the and then the expos moved to D.C., so I'm never gonna go. Also, I think everyone in Montreal eats horse meat for their hamburgers. Freaking Montreal! I go to Montreal. I went to Montreal, and I would go check in at the hotel because when I covered the Phillies, they played the expos like 26 times a year. I made three trips to Montreal a year, and because my last name is Le Maurice, they were like my people. So I would check into the hotel, and they'd be like, Monsieur Le Maurice, welcome back to the hotel. I'd be like, listen. I'm just a guy who who works in Delaware with a French last name. I'm not French, so you don't have to act like I'm French. And by the way, I think all your hamburgers are made of horse meat. So I never went to Chez Paris, but I did when I drive to my favorite Japanese steakhouse in Columbus. Between my house and the Japanese steakhouse is the Columbus Strip Club. So I noticed... That they were advertising that Stormy Daniels is going to be there, and I pointed it out to my children. And I'm not sure if that's good parenting to be like, "Hey, kids, <laughs> Stormy Daniels is coming to Columbus." Oh, Stormy Daniels, Daddy! <laughs> I don't know how I got on that. Uh, so anyway, strip clubs. Speaking about strip clubs, let's talk about tomorrow. And we'll call. I'm just kidding. All right. I want to go to number. I do want to go to number 25 on the list. Number 30, Jonathan Cooper. Number 20, Isaiah Pryor. Number 28, Luke Farrell. Number 27, Brady Taylor. Number 26, Terry McLaurin. We've talked about that we still think, Bill especially has made the point, he doesn't necessarily believe that the center battle is settled. We have Brady Taylor at 27 and Josh Myers at 31. Um, We'll see how that works out in camp. 25, Demario McCall. I think in the end, and when you do lists like this, you have to sort of find a middle ground. Because... I think I don't think by the end of the year Demario McCall is going to be the 25th most important guy on the roster. I think he either is going to be in the top 15 or he's going to be number 40. Because I either think he is going to have an actual role in the offense and that he is going to be Paris Campbell's backup at H and he is going to get regular time at slot receiver and they're going to get him the ball and he's going to be good. Or he's just not going to play. Or it's going to be that Hill and Campbell are the H's and the other guys are the outside receivers and Demario McCall is like the return guy. They've said he's the number one return guy in a world where kick returns are going to matter much less than they mattered before. And if you're the punt returner, I mean, we've seen guys, if you're just the punt returner, you don't play otherwise. I mean, what are your, is that that big of a deal? So I, I don't think he's going to wind up at 25. I think 25 is a good spot for him, for you guys to put him there now. My question is, if your choice, Tim, for if we do a top, if we do a postseason top 50 list, the 50 best players from Ohio State season, and your choices were DeMario McCall is going to be number 15, 
or he's going to be number 40. What's your guess right now? Uh, I think based on potential, he's got I, – I lean more towards 15. Cause I think, uh, and again, I get potential. We all think he's going to be good. Do you think he's going to play? Yeah, I mean, we know he's going to return. And he's I, sixth on your on your receiving yards list. The sixth guy played, and he got like twenty, almost twenty catches. I think. Okay. Johnny Dixon of the six, I think, only had like eighteen catches or whatever, but he still led the team in touchdowns. Okay. So you think he could be the sixth leading receiver, but find a role? Yes, because okay. he'll do more than catch the football. I think at H back, he could be sort of. You wrote about, it, I think, after the season, he could he has potential maybe to be the next Curtis Samuel. He may not get there. But maybe they use him in that way to hand him the ball a little bit more as that change up to J.K. Dobbins, that pure like speed to couple with Dobbins' power elusiveness combination. Okay. Because I mean, Dobbins, for, like we can get into the tangent about Dobbins for for as good as J.K. Dobbins is. I think the only thing was in the Big Ten Teller game when he had those two long runs that he was tackled inside the five yard line. Is that is like the only like little flaw we saw is like just came so close to finishing off long touchdown runs. DeMario's got that explosiveness that I don't know how many guys on this offense just really have. Yep. And I, Paris has it. <clears throat> if you listed the three most explosive offensive players for Ohio State, who's your list? Paris, Dobbins, McCall. We've seen Mike Weber Mike Weber, I mean, I think has joked about he has better breakaway speed than people give him credit for. Um, but I don't know that I would disagree with that. I don't know that – I mean, Johnny Dixon, we see it. Johnny Dixon can turn 20-yard catches into 50-yard touchdowns. Uh, but I think, that's, I think that's probably the right top three. So in the, in the end, so your, your guess is that you expect he's going to force – Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and Urban Meyer. Demario's going to force them to give him a role in the offense. Yeah. Plus, I I am fascinated what he'll do in the punt return game. I I don't expect that they're going to obviously kickoff returns going to be interesting. The one the one thing I wrote about is I'm curious with the new kickoff rule, how reluctant or willing coaches are going to be to give their returners the green light in in situations like you're going to fair catch every time versus. If you have an opening, go ahead and right. have t- and swing your shot. Take your shot. Yeah. And McCall seems like a guy who can do that. If if it's going to KJ Hill, I'd fair catch it every time. Just take it to the twenty five yard line because I, he's not as explosive as Demario is. Demario could be that guy you give the green light to. That like if you think you can take it, do it. I am very curious about that too. There's going to be a lot of the the number one quality of a kick returner is going to be decision making. That and there also is is less of a reason to have just a steady guy back there, because as long as you catch it, you get it at the twenty five. Like you said, you could put you could put Brady Taylor back there, and as long as he caught it, you get it at the twenty five. That's it. There's no more of like okay, well we're going to kick kick it to the three, and Brady Taylor, a three hundred pound returner, is only going to return it to the ten yard line. He gets it at the twenty five. So it's going to be decision-making in the moment because I don't think the best teams can't tell their returner, you've got to fair catch it. I mean, depending, maybe there's game situations, whatever. If we're up by three touchdowns with ten minutes left and they're going to try to force a, you know, we just want to milk the clock, then you fair catch it no matter what. But normal game situations, it's going to have to be a decision in the moment of, I'm looking at this kick, can I get it past the 25 or not? Looking at the kick in the air, taking a glance at how the coverage looks. So I think that decision-making is going to be critical. 
You just gave me an idea for media days. What's that? About like if Urban Meyer, like the Urban Meyer and the mythical green light. That's good. I'm writing that down in my head right now. I love green lights. Um, I think that's very good because I think I think like in the moment decision making in sports is always very interesting because it's it's a matter of like you want to have confidence but not too much confidence. The coach has confidence in you. You have confidence in yourself. But we've seen a lot of guys who are like, I can return this. And it's like all of a sudden a guy catches it at the goal line, doesn't fair catch it, and gets tackled at the 14. And it's like, dude, like you think you're Superman. You're not Superman. You just cost us 11 yards. So I'm curious about that. Right. I could see, though, against like Oregon State, Rutgers, Tulane, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the teams that aren't, that aren't the TCUs and Michigans and Penn States where Urban Meyer will just allow DeMario or KJL just return whatever. And then against DCU – Penn State, etc. The good teams, they'll they'll fair catch in more against the other teams. They'll they'll be more willing to take those chances because they expect they could, with all the weapons they have, they could still go an eighty five yard touchdown. Drive. Although it is one of those things too. It's like if you, but if you're in a tight game with Penn State and you like your returner, it's like you take your shot. Like Penn State when they had Saquon Barkley back there, they probably never wanted him to fair catch it because this is this is an offensive play for us with a dangerous guy. So maybe against a great team. Maybe you think we need Demario McCall to get this to midfield. You know, I don't. I don't know. It's going to be the the play itself. There's going to be fewer instances where the kickoff itself is as dynamic because there's going to be fewer returns. But the decisions might be more interesting. Let's do up to the top twenty because you're listening to this on Wednesday. Number twenty went up on Wednesday. Correct? Yes. So, Demario McCall is number 25. Damon Arnett at corner is number 24. Ben Victor at receiver. We talked about the receivers. He was number 23. Who's 22? 22 is Keandre Jones. Expected starting outside linebacker. And this is interesting because, again, top 22, those are, for the most part, expected starters. For instance, Brady Taylor is the expected starting center. He's number 27. But, again, we're, we're getting into the starters here. So, Keandre Jones is 22. Who's 21? Johnny Dixon. Johnny Dixon is 21, and who's 20? Malik Harrison. Malik Harrison went up today at number 20. So, we're talking two, the two expected starting outside linebackers, Keandre Jones and Malik Harrison. Where is Baron Browning? We haven't seen Baron Browning yet. Baron Browning is coming up. Baron Browning. So, we are treating Baron Browning... Like a starter, and also Tough Borland is higher than these guys. Correct. Correct. Okay, so it's interesting. It's just an interesting evaluation of where we think people are going to be. Um, do you think Keandre Jones holds on to his job? I think uh, Keandre Jones is on the Dante Booker path right now, and I thought, and Dante Booker was on sort of like a, I'm trying to think of, like a Josh Perry path. Well, Perry played a lot as a sophomore, I think. Um, it's like you, you, you're a good player, you wait your turn. And Keandre Jones was a huge recruit. He and Dwayne Haskins were a package deal for Maryland. When they got Dwayne Haskins, that was a huge deal. Keandre Jones was almost as much of a big deal for him to commit to Ohio State. And here we are. I wrote about Keandre Jones. I talked to him right after the bowl game. He's done everything right. And here we are in a situation where when you think about Malik Harrison and you think about Tough Borland and you think about Baron Browning and you think about Pete Warner... I just feel like Keandre Jones has to watch his back because people are trying to come for his job. Do you think Keandre Jones has to worry about holding on to a starting spot? I think so. 
Because, I mean, again, you mentioned there's just so much talent in the in the linebacker room, but it goes to the thing that you said at the beginning. Guys just have to wait their turn at Ohio State, and Keandre Jones is in that category of guys that have had to wait a little bit because of the veterans in front of them, in particular Jerome Baker and Chris Worley, who are both gone. And Jones is essentially next on that list. But we've talked about Browning's ability to play inside and outside. If they like Justin Hilliard more than Baron Browning at the middle, they can easily put Browning outside with Malik Harrison, who we saw at the end of the season, really make some things happen. And then Jones suddenly becomes number four. All right, so that's our top 20. Is there anybody else you want to hit on? That's not our top 20. That's the bottom 30. So, again, we're doing top 50 Ohio State. That is 50 through 20. We will do 19 through number one in a future podcast as we are building up to that. Again, we will finish that as we are at Big Ten Media Days, which are July 23rd and July 24th. Anyone that that we didn't talk about that you thought was super interesting in the bottom 30? I think we covered it. All right, let's move on to questions from you guys. You can always tweet us at Buckeye Talk Pod. I tried to go back through Twitter and find any uh, in there. Most of you guys, if you follow me on Twitter, you follow Tim on Twitter, you follow Bill on Twitter. At some point during the week, one of us will tweet out a call for questions. The best way to get your question on is to respond to that. You could also email us at BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. But Bill is in charge of that email account, and he's at the opening. Tim and Bill are going to be here next week doing it, the two of them, because I'm going to be gone. Um, so we'll let Bill build up some email questions for that. So if you sent an email question, you're not going to hear it. If you sent it last week, you won't hear it on this podcast, but you very likely will hear it on the next podcast. We're going to take these from Twitter. A lot of familiar uh, people checking in. I'm gonna, this is a good one to start with. From Nephrophiliac, N-E-F-R-O-P-H-I-L-I-A-C. What are the odds that Ohio State keeps all of the current 2020 commits? Which is always the smart question. As soon as a kid commits, especially when it's 18 months before signing day, is are they going to keep him? They had a quarterback in Emory Jones that was a centerpiece of a recruiting class for basically a year and did not wind up here. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. It is not Certainly Ohio State is not plagued by decommitments. They flip more kids off commitments to other schools than they lose commitments. There usually, though, are one or two per class, right, that there's a, a decommit somewhere in there. Is that about the range for Ohio State? I'd say so. Four or five in for 2020? Four. Anybody in there that, that people should be on flip watch at all? I would say no right now. It's too early because, I mean, Paris Johnson, again, I mentioned before, I always said when he's committed, he's committed, and he's not hes not going to change his mind. Jack Miller, we talked about the connections between him and Ohio State. Jake Ray, his brother's there. Legend Cavazos, he's been around Ohio State a lot you know, in the early process. So those four guys right now look pretty solid. Yeah, I, I, and I think we made the point when we talked about recruiting to start this podcast that Paris Johnson is an Ohio kid. He's not going anywhere. And Jack Miller, with all the connections he has, those are two big-time guys. Um, that seem like they want to be the leaders of this recruiting class. That's the one thing when you get really good guys in early, they start recruiting for you. And if you have your quarterback locked in, Jack Miller is going to be out there getting targets. He's going to be finding receivers to throw to in this 2020 receiving class. Paris Johnson, as the best player in Ohio, is going to make sure 
that all the other best kids in Ohio that Ohio State wants are thinking about Ohio State. So I think they're in very good position not to just keep those guys, but to have those guys lead the way for this 2020 class. Jordan Steele up to Jordan Steele. The first play from scrimmage for the Ohio State Buckeyes in the 2018 season is what? Hand off to J.K. Dobbins. I think they're going to tease us a little bit, you know, because we all want to see what Dwayne Haskins and the new passing offense is looking like, and they're just going to hand it off to J.K. Dobbins up the middle. RPO. (laughs) I think it is going to be a read for Dwayne Haskins. And if I were Oregon State, the number one, as much as we've all talked about Dwayne Haskins, if I were Oregon State, the number one thing I would want to do is stop J.K. Dobbins. I think it's going to be, uh, we should bet on this. I think it's going to be Dwayne Haskins with an, a read where he he sees that the defense is keying on J.K. Dobbins, and then it's like a quick throw to Austin Mack for like a four-yard gain. Um, like not exciting. Like a, I think that would be like a very unexciting result for an important play in the offense that is a Dwayne Haskins throw, but not at all like the Dwayne Haskins throw that people are waiting for. So, like, that's an – I mean, like, okay, let's see who's right. Let's, like, wait a month and a half and see who's right. Um, but aren't you just, like, what is your level of curiosity and excitement for the first game just to see what the offense looks like? I think that's really going to be the only thing that has me excited because it's Oregon State. They're not, they're not, not very good, obviously. One of the worst teams in the Pac-12, which was the worst of the big – of the Power Five conferences, it's mostly just we're going to open the curtain a little bit and get a look at what this is. That's always what the first game is. Rarely does Ohio State get to play a really good team to start the season. So this is just going to be mostly answering a few questions more than anything. And I think we had mentioned Oregon State previously because, again, you you and Bill, Tim, are, are doing the breakdowns uh, week by week. It's about two a week that we're doing of the schedule breakdown? Yeah, Tuesday, Thursday. So we had... This Tuesday, which I believe was Minnesota. Okay, so we're working through the schedule, the percentage chance that Ohio State could lose each game, and we're building up to what we think the percentage chance is of them going 12-0. and And I think when we talked about Oregon State early on, I mentioned, oh, I didn't realize that Mike Riley had gone back to Oregon State as an assistant, and now he left again because he's coaching in this startup football league. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. What's it called? The American Athletic Football Association of America or something? There's an F in it. I know that. American Football. Yeah, maybe it's American Football Association of America. It's like, uh, I think Steve Spurrier's a head coach. I think Brad Childress is a head coach. Mike Singletary's a head coach. And Mike Riley, I think, is the head coach of the San Antonio team. Phil Savage, former Browns GM who was running the Senior Bowl and just left that is an Alabama commentator for college football. He's involved with it. I want to have him on either Takes by the Lake or this podcast at some point to talk about it. It's like a startup football league, and then there's like the Vince McMahon restart of the XFL. So there's two football leagues that are both starting up. But there's no Midwestern team in this American Football Association of Football. There's like a team in Birmingham. There's a team in San Antonio. I think there's a team in Orlando. They're all in the South and Southwest. And there's none in the Midwest and I almost wonder, like, I would feel like a team in Ohio in a league like that would make a lot of sense. And I almost feel like, and I think it's a spring league, I almost think, like, a team that would play in Ohio Stadium would make sense if, they would, if Ohio State would let them. 
Or I don't know if there'd be like somewhere in Dayton they could play, or could they play like in the Crew Stadium or something? I want to have them on and find out why there's not a Columbus team, because I think Columbus could be an interesting market for something like that. Yeah, there's not much here, that, not much that goes on in the spring and the summer sports-wise outside of the Clippers. So there's a there's a vacuum there, there's an opening there. Fill the vacuum, Ben at three one two underscore Buckeye. Three one no three one two is Delaware, I think. Because I used to live in Delaware. Ohio State Buckeye fan. Okay. I wonder if he's in Delaware. Right? 312? That's Delaware. Look up, uh, look up area codes. Because I did a story one time on Delano DeShields, who is like the greatest athlete in the history of Delaware. 312 is the Chicago Loop. Oh. What's Delaware's? Look up Delaware's area code. 312 is Chicago. 302. 302. Delano DeShields had a 302 tattoo on his arm. But now everybody has it. Everybody has like their area code. Like, what's your area code where you grew up? Three three zero. You're a three three zero. So you'd like to keep it real in the three three zero. You'd have a three three zero tattoo. Maybe. Landis, I think. What's Philly is like two one six. Maybe I can't believe he doesn't have a Philly. Yeah, Cle- Cleveland's two one six. God. Cleveland's two one six. New York's two one two. Philly's two zero two. I think. Two one five and two six seven. Fun with area codes. You guys enjoy that ninety second tangent. <laughs> God, I'm an idiot. Ben, if Ohio State doesn't win the national title this year, is it going to happen again under Urban Meyer? If so, what more would he need, does he need? If they don't win it this year. And I guess the, 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 the real question there, Ben, is, is I think the suggestion that, like, is this a best shot for them? Because I think a team like Ohio State, again, they're in a mix. At the moment, I think there's only three teams in the country. Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, that the expectation and also pretty much the reality is every year you, they're a national title contender. Bottom line. If they don't win it this year, will it happen again? Do we think, and again, Buckeye Talk is on record, whatever it was six weeks ago, we all said, hey, do we think they're going to win? Yes, all three of us said they're going to win the national title. Is this a best chance for them or is it just another chance? Or... If they don't get it now, is it like, well, I don't know. I think it's just another chance. I think with the way Ohio State recruits with with Urban Meyer and the way it's come in the last couple of years, I don't know if it's there's ever truly a quote unquote best chance or a last chance. They're all maybe some years are maybe better than others. Like I think twenty twenty fifteen was obviously a much better chance than twenty sixteen, although the twenty sixteen team got into the playoff. The, I think if they don't get in this year, the reason might be just maybe the receiving core is just not dynamic enough, and we don't know what it's going to be like again with Dwayne Haskins. That passing game could look very different than we all think. We expect it to be much more explosive, much more effective down the field, and to scare teams a little more. But again, you mentioned the three teams that are obviously the top contenders. Alabama's got Tua Tagovailoa. they got amazing running backs. Their defense is always good. Clemson's got a defensive line that right now would start for a couple NFL teams out there. Yeah, I don't. I think this is just a chance, and I I think this actually might be like not their best chance in the next several years. So if you think about, we asked Bill earlier, rank the 17, 18, 19, and 20 recruiting classes. He said 17 was number one, 20 was number two, 18 was number three. We everybody knows how good the 17 and 18 recruiting classes were. Next year, in 2019. The 17 guys 
are going to be juniors, like Chase Young, that crew, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be juniors. The 2018 class is going to be sophomores, right? The guys who were true freshmen this year who were such big guys like Teron Vincent and Kayvon Pope and, uh, I don't know, Jeremy Rucker and Josh Proctor, all these guys we talked about, right? They're going to be sophomores. I think that if Dwayne Haskins is back next year, I think next year they'll have a better shot. Because I will say this about our prediction, and and I want to dig in on this a little bit more. I will say this about our prediction of them winning the national title this year. As I look at this list of the top 50 Ohio State players, it makes me back off that a little bit. Because actually, I think there are guys who it's like, when you look at, and and this is why we'll dig into the top 20 later on, when you look at the guy that we think going into the season is their 11th best player, and I'm just throwing a number out, it makes me think, oh man, is that really... If you're a national title team, is that guy your 11th best player? And even when you th- that, if you're a national title team, is that guy your 7th best player? That Yes, they have Nick Bosa. And yes, they have J.K. Dobbins. And yes, we think Dwayne Haskins is going to be great. But I don't know. Like, I think, like, uh, there are some guys that, that a lot of them, is, they just haven't done it yet because last year's team was so old. But there are a lot of guys, like we're expecting Baron Browning, right? Like you're expecting Baron Browning to be good if you think they're going to win. But Baron Browning's a sophomore, and we don't know if he's going to play. Like next year when Baron Browning and Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Okuda, we don't know how much he's going to play. When you think about the 2017 class, and when you think about when Chase Young and Jeffrey Okuda and Baron Browning are juniors, and they are starters, and they are experienced guys who've been around for two years – that, to me, is when you're starting to build, like, oh, yeah, these are our 10 best players. Oh, yeah. This is, like, all, like, top two rounds of the NFL draft kind of guys are our 10 best players. I don't, I don't know. When I started to look at the top 20 that you guys put together, and it's, a, it's the right top 20, it just made me take a step back a little bit on, you know, who are the receivers that are guys who are going to go in the first two rounds of the draft? Who are their offensive linemen that are going to go in the first two rounds of the draft? Like, like right now, based on who they are right now. Like, Michael Jordan's really good. But beyond Bosa and Chase, you know, we know Draymond Jones is really good. I, I, I don't know. I actually took a half step back. So I don't think as much as we all said, yeah, they're going to win the national title. I actually think 19 is a better target year. And then depending who sticks around, you're going to lose. You're going to lose a lot of guys as juniors from the 17 class I don't know that Jeffrey Okuda, Baron Browning and Chase Young, I don't know that any of them are going to be around in 2020 as seniors, right? So that's why I would target 2019, but I think that year when you're talking about that the 17 and 18 and 19 classes their recruiting's getting better every year I think when you have the 17 and 18 classes contributing at the same time I think that in the end if your quarterback's good I think that's a better shot at a national title than right now. So I would say, Ben, there's a very good, they're going to have a very good shot at it. doesn't mean they're going to win it, but I think their chance at it is actually going to increase for the next couple years, even though we think they absolutely have a shot at it right now for this year. 
Andrew Ardle, our guy. What does Paris Johnson Jr.'s commitment for 2020 say about Myers' recruiting prowess and how that could extend his longevity at Ohio State? I think that's the point I wanted to make in that column, Tim, is that don't take it for granted. But how much does it matter that the best kid in Ohio wanted to be a Buckeye early? And if that's where you are, right? Recruiting's hard. But if you're locking down the best Ohio kids early because they love your, the way your program's running, that makes life a little easier. And you would think life being a little easier would make you want to stay around, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, again, I mentioned what kind of surprise it was that Johnson committed when he did. But again, you wrote it. Getting the number one guy in Ohio is, I mean, something that hasn't happened as often as it should. I mean, 2016, I believe, it was Tommy Kramer that went to Notre Dame. We all know about Jackson Cartman going to Clemson. We still don't know Zach Harrison. I mean, obviously, we he's Ohio State's the favorite in his recruitment, but it, nothing's official till he commits, and then nothing's official after that till he signs. But when you get the number one guy in Ohio, it's pretty significant because the state always produces really good football players. And, and it was easy, right? Like, they spent a lot of time on Jackson Carmen, and in the end didn't get him. Paris Johnson just made it easy on them. Now, they keep recruiting him. You don't take anything. You don't give up on the kid. You don't just say, hey, thanks for committing. We'll see you in two years. I get that you stay on him, but everybody's going to want him, and he's in. You just And holding, and I know some coaches say, well, holding on to a guy is just as hard as getting the commitment. Not, not, not really, right? I mean, if he was wide open, if Paris Johnson was putting out top fives, in his junior year, and Ohio State was in there with Alabama and Florida State and stuff like it. it would, that's harder. Th- this this makes life a little easier. Cynical Negro, our guy, NW Drone four one zero. That's his Twitter handle. Do you ever think that kids who look to be recruited as a third or fourth option at Ohio State would have been better suited at schools that clearly want them more? Obviously, I'm thinking about Matthew Baldwin flipping from Colorado State, Dwan Mathis decommitting from Michigan State, but there are probably others. I've made thought my thoughts on this, I think, available multiple times over the years. Where do you stand on that? I think you always, as a kid, you always want to be the guy, I think. I mean, obviously there's guys that would just want to come to Ohio State and have a shot to compete, but I think in some cases, you know, we see this why kids, guys transfer from places like Ohio State to other schools to get opportunities. I think you're better off going being the guy somewhere else, even if it's not like a top flight school, because... Not everybody's good enough to play at Ohio State. I mean, that's just a reality we talk about all the time. Again, a reason why kids transfer. They're, they're either blocked by playing by better players in front of them or they're just not good enough. So if you have a chance to be the guy somewhere, go, I'd say go for it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I talked about it a lot with Antonio Williams. That I, I feel like Antonio Williams was, it, was a Wisconsin commit, decommitted, came to Ohio State, and just transferred to North Carolina because he just wasn't going to play ahead of J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. So... I think he would have been better off going to Wisconsin. I said I think he could have been Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. Landis loves Matthew Baldwin. I don't know. I mean, I guess if if it's Colorado State, you know, whatever, I guess I understand why you want to come to Ohio State instead. Dwan Mathis flipping from Michigan State. Is Dwan Mathis ever going to play here? Will Dwan Mathis ever start a game at quarterback at Ohio State? I don't know, with Jack Miller coming in, and it's going to be hard. I could I could definitely see a situation where I think Miller's much more talented. Even though he's younger, he could probably push Mathis out of the way and steal steal the job away from him, I think. And they're not, I mean, like, they can't all play. Joe Burrow 
We all think Joe Burrow's good. Joe Burrow never started the game at quarterback for Ohio State. So would Joe Burrow have been better off going somewhere else? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think he had a good experience here, but he ended up having to transfer. So one thing is transferring is not the worst thing in the world. And I do think there's a a part of your soul that says, I want to at least take a shot. And if you take a shot at Ohio State and you give your best effort and it doesn't work out and you transfer, at least you eliminate the lingering what if. So I get that. But I don't know that in the end is Dwan Mathis going to regret not going to Michigan State. Because we have seen a ton of kids from Ohio. And then we criticize Ohio State sometimes. Why didn't you take this kid? Why didn't Le'Veon Bell go to Ohio State? Well, he might have not played here. He might not have become Le'Veon Bell at Ohio State because there's some guy you would have played behind. But he got the chance to become that by going to a place where he could play. So, yeah. I mean, Ohio State doesn't – and Ohio State loves to say, well, I don't want – if the kid's not ready to compete, we don't want him here. It's like, all right, I get it. There's only 11 guys on each side of the ball that can start. There's there's 60 backups on your roster. Every minute of the day, there are 60 backups on your roster. And probably 30 of those 60 backups would be good enough to start a lot of other places. So tell me, what's better? You're going to tell me that like being a backup at Ohio State is, of course, better than starting at Indiana or starting at Purdue or starting at... Boston College or starting at North Carolina, I don't buy it. So no one's ever going to criticize a kid for shooting for the moon and coming in to compete and all this stuff because whatever, because you don't put it on a poster. Nobody makes posters that says, don't compete, go to the place that you can start, right? Like, right. I would make that poster. Realize your limitations. Find somewhere where people aren't better than you. That's my poster. <laughs> Go to Buckeye Talk. Wait, we'll get get a website. (laughs) What did I just say? Go realize your limitations. Find somewhere where people aren't better than you. Post that. Buckeye Talk. T-shirts and posters. Caps. Everything. Boxers. We're going to make them because that is real life. And people don't like to hear about real life a lot of the time. People like to hear about shooting for the stars. And a lot of shooting for the stars is a bunch of malarkey. So realizing, am I wor- do, where am I? Am I working? Am I working at the New York Times? No, because if I worked at the New York Times, I'd be taking out the trash. So I'm here, and I'm happy. I could not be happier. But I come on, man. What am I asking to go to go cover the White House? No, I would suck at that. So I'm happy. God. I love limitations. All right, we're going to get some food questions. Evan, oh, Tim pumped his fist. Tim's like, good Lord, this has been a lot of football. Well, I, I did appreciate <coughs> I thought it was fun. We kind of t- we got to mention last week's podcast. We, it seemed like we had ten, like 30 minutes of football followed by 10 minutes of nonsense, and we kind of sprinkled it all the way throughout. I'm curious what people would think about that, if like we sprinkle it throughout, if we save food for the end. Yeah, if we have a nonsense gong. Gong, time for nonsense. I did look at I did look at gongs on Amazon. I know Evan Imel wants to send us one and pay for it. How much are gongs? Uh, I think they're like anywhere from twenty to fifty dollars on Amazon. Twenty to fifty? All right, we can expense that. <laughs> gong expense form. Gong for podcast. Forty nine ninety nine. Essential item. And here we are, Evan Imel. Where do you stand on nachos? Are there a meal or an app? I can never get a nacho and not eat too much. Um, God, he's, he's, uh, he's got a lot, he's got a million questions. First on nachos, 
How often do you order nachos in a restaurant? Uh, really never. It's mostly a ball game thing for me. How often do you make nachos at home? Hardly ever. See, I always think I'm going to make. It's like you go when you eat nachos. Though, are you happy? Yeah, it's never like it's never a meal for me. It's just like you get it because you want to have snacks. You want to have excuse to have chips and queso. But I will say the diff- ballpark nachos, which is like little circle chips and reheated cheese whiz in a little container, right? Dribble. That's different than like restaurant nachos when you have like meat. If I'm getting nachos, I'm getting meat on them. But I think it's hard to get nachos at a restaurant because nachos. If you're getting nachos as an app, you have to split them with at least four people. Otherwise, you eat so much, you can't eat your meal. Sometimes I have gotten nachos as the meal, though. Because to me, if you're eating the chicken and, like, some chili beans and a little cheese and maybe there's, like, some peppers or something with onions sprinkled in there, that can be a meal. But I think people don't look at it that way. I would consider nachos a meal, and I think ballpark nachos are for crap. You want to defend ballpark nachos for 30 seconds? Eh, not really. Not really, right? Ballpark nachos are a classic example of no options, right? Do people eat ballpark nachos because they think they're delicious or because there's nothing else? Because it's like, well, I already ate a hot dog. I, yeah, I think it's like a it's like a side dish. I mean, there's not really like a great option other than, other than like maybe french fries or something like that. It's like nachos seems like it's number two on that list. What's your breakfast hot take? Mine is that pancakes are a thousand times better than waffles. That's also Evan Imel. My hot take is that waffles are better than pancakes. I always like to ask people this. Rank pancakes, waffles, and French toast. Oh, wow. Um, waffles, because I feel like... Keep your hand... Tim, keep your hand away from your mouth. We can't hear you. I've been trying, First, to, I've been trying to use my hands to tell you to not have your hand I'm near sorry. your mouth. We want to hear your breakfast opinions as clearly as possible. Okay, waffle, French toast, um, pancakes. Pancakes last? It's close. They're all relatively close. Like, I will have no problem if someone puts one of those three in front of me. I will be very happy. I think French toast is a more nuanced breakfast. I think waffles and pancakes are cliche a little bit. I think, wa- I think French toast is a cut above. And so uh, I, always, I always lean to French toast. That's <laughs> like... Try to be really deep about that. It's just freaking. Depends. Sometimes what... I wonder about this podcast. It really? What... Was that thirty seconds of entertainment? <laughs> what French toast is more nuanced? What are we doing? What are we doing here? Well, will... What is this? This is this is this are our lives. These are our lives. We're sitting in a basement on a beautiful summer day, talking about French toast versus waffles. Well, I mean, if you have to pick between all three, that's a good problem to have. I will say that. I, I would rather go nowhere. I, I wouldn't. I, this is where I, I want to be here. I want to be here with you, talking to you people about French toast. Uh, I have a story to tell at the end, and I'm going to lead in with the Chase Richardson question. Delillo ballpark food, real quick. It's summertime in the dead middle of baseball season. What's your go-to ballpark food? You just went to an Indians game, and what ballpark food is overrated? Delillo asks. What did you eat at the Indians game? Hot dogs. I think always the go-to because I. I mean, it's the only place I can think of where you get a hot dog. True. True. Although, Did you get anything else besides hot dogs? Um, well, I mean, I usually get hot dogs at the game. I didn't. At the game, I actually went to the Dante's, Dante's Pizza in Cleveland. has like a little station yeah. in the lower deck, so I got a pizza there. It was actually really good. 
I do think I, I like the ballpark options are so much more varied now. It's, much, it's not ballpark food. The whole point is they're trying to give you food that's not just ballpark food, which almost makes me miss ballpark food, if you know what I mean. That makes me sound like an old person. I do think nachos are overrated, though. Uh, DeLillo had another question. Something about chicken fingers. He wants to share chicken fingers with his future children. Um... <laughs> I don't even know what that was. I will say having kids makes you fat because you always eat the food off their plate. Uh, DeLillo said, does 2020 have a chance to be the best class Urban has ever inked at Ohio State? Um, it's so early, but Bill said he's going to write about this. Maybe he's probably written about it by now. So go read it on Cleveland.com. But just explain the fact that they have Miller and Johnson now. Explain this number one kid in the country um, who they're after and, and what the chances are in your mind right now. Well, Brian Brissy's number one. He's from Damascus, Maryland. 6'6", I believe, 280-some pounds already. Put out his top 15 a few days ago. Ohio State made the cut. And right now, Ohio State's the favorite on 247, the predictions. I believe it, I believe off the top of my head, it's like 6 out of 7 so far. Because this is Larry Johnson territory. Yeah, this is Larry Johnson. And people believe in Larry Johnson's ability to reel in a kid like this out of Maryland. Yeah, DMV, defensive line. That screams like Larry Johnson's like prime territory. And then, again, again, I mentioned Justin Rogers, number 13 over, overall. He's a guard. He's been to Ohio State a few times. I honestly thought he was going to commit before Paris Johnson did because, I, like I said, Paris Johnson, I didn't think he was going to commit this early. But you get those three guys. If I don't know if they're going to get all three guys because they're so long to go. Like, maybe they only get one of those two. Maybe only Rogers commits. It's so hard to predict the number one kid, especially out of state. So, but if they can get both Bressy and Rogers they got a shot to be number one, and if they're number one, then that makes them the greatest class in your Meyer era because he's never had the number one class at Ohio State. Yeah, I will be curious that that 17 class, I think Bill made a good point, is we made a big deal about it at the time, um, and I think rightly so. And so I, I think there could be a world where, like, and and you guys often mention this. It's like there's the year, the yearly rankings within your class, but then there's also, like, the raw numbers that they give you a grade, and sometimes – you know, if, if you're if the overall strength of a class is better, I think it could be that like the 2020 class, even if it finishes number one, might have a lower rating than the 17 class that didn't finish number one, but had Baron Browning and Chase Young and Jeffrey Okuda in it, and was like an awesome class that sort of set the bar here. So I I do think 2020 has to get some things done to pass 2017. I think the interesting thing is you're talking about this kid from Maryland. You can never count on an out-of-state kid, but to me it is such a difference when you're recruiting an out-of-state kid when the in-state school just is not at your level. The idea of pulling it, when they pulled like Browning and Dobbins and Okuda out of Texas, they did it because Texas was down, but Texas is Texas. Like you don't have to do much to outdo Maryland. Even though DJ Durkin's got it going and Maryland is on the rise and he's recruited well, if this kid was from Pennsylvania, now you're trying to beat Penn State for a Pennsylvania kid. If this kid was from Michigan, now you're trying to beat Michigan and Michigan State for a Michigan kid. If he was from Georgia or Florida or Louisiana or whatever else. The fact that he's from Maryland, like Ohio State should be the favorite on a kid in Maryland. Ohio State is Maryland's home state school. God, this is, this is writing down story ideas. The actual home state football program for every state in the country. Like one of those little maps. 
because we know Ohio State's the home state football program for kids in Ohio. Maryland is not the home state football program for the best football players in Maryland. When there's a great player in Maryland, nobody says, oh, well, he's going to Maryland. When there's a great player in New Jersey, nobody says, oh, well, he's going to Rutgers. What, what is the default assumption for the best football players in a state? And I think in Maryland, it might be Ohio State right now. Maybe Penn State, but I want to dig in on that. Oh, that's a good idea. I like maps. Last question is more of a comment that's going to lead into a story. Chase Richardson, our guy at Chase KR19. I went to high school with a guy and tutored a guy who will now most likely start at tackle for Tulane. Do I get tickets to the Ohio State game just to watch him try to contain Nick Bosa and Chase Young? Yeah! Wouldn't you want to go like watch the guy you know? He's not going to win that battle, but I would want to go watch it. So then this led to me uh, promising my football story. Do you have, Tim, any stories of interactions with football players in your time as a student at Ohio State? Like having a class with a guy or like uh, you spilled a... You spilled a uh, you know fruit punch on a guy's foot in class or anything? Actually, no. I never had classes with any of those guys. I think I had like a communications class at one point with a couple of the basketball guys, including Dallas Lauderdale and I think PJ PJ Hill. PJ Hill. Yeah, I always loved PJ Hill. So I was like, it's game time, baby. I love PJ Hill. Uh, here's my story from Northwestern. I actually have a football story. I won't say the guy's name, but this guy, and you, I mean, it's like, I'm not going to say his name, but if you want to dig around on the internet for like 10 seconds, you'll figure it out. I was at Northwestern in, uh, I graduated in 1995. I started there in 1991. So this guy was the same age as me. Um, he was drafted in the second round of the NFL draft. So like this guy was like the best player on Northwestern's football team when I was there. And, and my work-study job for two of my years when I was there, and I don't know what colleges do now, I was a security monitor. So I sat in the, the, the hallway right inside the front door of a dorm. And when you came to visit... Somebody at that dorm, if you didn't live there, if you like didn't have a swipe card that automatically opened the door, you had to call in to like have your friend come down and get you, to let you upstairs at the dorm. And you had to sign in with the security monitor. There was basically a student there, so there was some record of like who was coming in and out of the dorms, which I actually think is a pretty good idea for safety and that kind of thing. Like, did we always do a great job? No. Mostly you went and sat. I would go for like six hours. I would go from like 8 o'clock at night till 2 o'clock in the morning was my work-study shift. I did it one day a week and then like every other weekend. Um, And so I would bring – this was back before like laptop computers. I used to bring my computer from my dorm room that was like a Mac with a green screen that like probably weighed 40 pounds. And I would carry it down the block. Because I was a security monitor in a different dorm than the one I lived in. I'm envisioning my dad's desktop computer. He had like a 1990s compact as you're telling the story. Yeah, so I'm carrying that. Also, I would bring, I, at times, I carried a TV and a VCR. I watched the Godfather movies while I was a security monitor for the first time. I, I, liked, to, I liked to not get stuff done. I was supposed to go and like do my homework, um, but I would go and waste time. And also sometimes talk to girls. Not really. So one time I was 
it was my freshman year, and this guy, I was sitting there inside the, in the hallway of this dorm, and this guy came down and said, here are the keys to my room. And he was this giant guy. He was this football player. And he said, my friends are coming over. When they get here, tell them to go up to my room and here are the keys. And I was like, I'm not, like, well, I'm not your like, valet. I mean, of course I didn't say that because I was, I was like a little pipsqueak freshman. And this massive person was telling me to do this. It was a violation of the security monitor code. Um, but I'll always remember, and this is a phrase. You know how sometimes there are phrases in your life? that stick with you from a random occurrence and then you drop them into everyday life later on. So he came down and he said, here are my keys, tell my friends, beer's in the fridge, porno's in the VCR, I'll be right back. <laughs> so that guy, a second, future second round NFL draft pick, told me, beer's in the fridge, porno's in the VCR. So that to me, like when it's party time, that's what it is to me. Like, it's like, hey, are we ready to party or yet? It's like, oh yeah, beers in the fridge, pornos in the VCR, which is like the most 90s thing that a person could ever say. That is my story of a college encounter with a football player. So see, we had a, we had a football program at Northwestern that was just like everybody else. They won like three games a year when I was there. But we had a guy who was an NFL prospect who was living life like that, man. So I also, I also uh, in that dorm, met... A girl who uh, was the daughter of uh, a U.S. congressman um, who that her dad later ran for president. And I took her uh, to a date party one time with my fraternity, and she was very nice. And then we went up to the date party, and then shortly after, um, I found out that she was a lesbian. So I, I may have been like the last guy that she went on a date with. She's she's a great person. She's had a great life, um, and uh, and she was very nice. But um, I that was it. Like that was she. I knew after she went out with me, she was like, nope, <laughs> not for me. Oh, no. <laughs> that guy, nope, definitely. That's it. I'm done. I've decided. That's it. I know the deal. Not him. Um, I think it's interesting, and I'm sorry to cut you off if you were still going with your story. No, I'm good. You mentioned, obviously, that I went to school at Ohio State. I'm sure people ask me, like, did you meet any of the players? I honestly know. It's it's, it's a giant campus. Yeah, it's giant. It's like 50,000 people. It's the size of a city. Yeah. But the the closest thing ever was, like, I think as a freshman, I was watching Sports Center one night, and I saw one of my, one of the kids I went to high school with at Brunswick make the Sports Center top 10 number two. I don't know if you remember, but shout out Jordan Gribble. He had, like, a crazy reverse like punter turn where he reversed his field and scored a touchdown. I think he was like number two on Sports Center one night. Nice. Congratulations, Jordan Gribble. I think he's like a, a high school coach somewhere in Cleveland. He's a, like an assist. He was an assistant at Highland. I remember that. I don't know if he's a head coach now or what he's doing right now. I don't even know if he's listening. But if you are Jordan, shout out that time you were on Sports Center, my friend. Also, by the way, this is happening. We are going to have a preseason show in Columbus. On the Monday before the season starts, it is not 100% locked in, I don't think, but it's close to 100% locked in. The night of August 27th, we will be doing a live Ohio State Buckeye Talk, a preseason Buckeye Talk from a bar in Columbus. I think it has a little stage. You guys can come out, hang out with us. We'll answer your questions. We might have little giveaways. I don't know. But mark your calendar now. We will give you more details 
as we get close to the start of the season, but that's our plan at the moment. We are super excited about it. We haven't done one of these yet. Um, I was part of this. We did this for the, an NFL draft show in Cleveland before the draft um, at a bar in Cleveland. We had a lot of fun. We had a great turnout, and, and I think we can replicate that with Ohio State in Columbus. So look forward to that. Um, thanks, as always, to you guys for listening. You can drop the five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, the iTunes thing. We just heard a couple of those beforehand. Again, I will be gone next week, but Bill will be back. So it'll be Tim and Bill answering your questions, talking recruiting, Ohio State football, everything else. Um, Bill will be writing. He's been writing the past couple days from the opening. Make sure you're reading those stories at cleveland.com. Make sure you continue to read Tim and Bill with their top 50 countdown every day at cleveland.com, every Tuesday, every Thursday. Schedule breakdown at cleveland.com as we break down the Ohio State opponents for this year. And I've been writing a lot about other things, uh, the Browns, LeBron. I have a Sunday column called Third and Short you guys can check out at cleveland.com or in the Plain Dealer. And just generally thank you for consuming our content because it's how we get paid. So on behalf of Bill Landis, sweating his balls off in Dallas, <laughs> on behalf of Tim Bielek, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>